right. The button has been pressed. I think I see a green light on YouTube. The light is green on YouTube. All right, so Coco Talk episode 77 is going to do it live in three, two. This is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. Streaming live on YouTube and Roku, available as a podcast and enjoyed the world over. And now, here's your host. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Coco Talk, episode 77, is it already? Have we reached, we have reached the, we've reached the twilight years and episodes at this point now. <laughs> we are now 77 episodes old. And in case you're not aware of this, welcome to uh, the soundboard that doesn't work talk. Uh, so <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome to Coca Talk episode seven, the show that we like to call wreck talk all right so uh salvador garcia is here from the color computer club we got all kinds of people here and we got a jam-packed show for you um we're gonna accelerate getting into the show here we're gonna jump into our primary assembly segment sooner rather than later but very quickly let's acknowledge who is on the panel with us right now from o canada uh, our Hispanic friend, L. Curtis Boyle, is here. <laughs> Hello, everyone. And actually, I'm the reason the assembly thing's going early because I, uh, I got to leave early. So my apologies to everybody involved. Yeah, his nickname today is Diva. All right. Yeah. And <laughs> our, resident, me. <laughs> our resident <laughs> Apple guy, Mark D. Overholzer, is here. Hello, Mark. Howdy. Glad to be here. We're glad to have you. From sunny Arizona, the timber man himself, Ron Neville. And you're muted, Ron. You're still muted. <laughs> keep keep pressing the buttons till you find the right one. You're still muted. There you go, Ron. Try it again. Hey, How are you, Ron? How you doing? Pretty good. <laughs> Rob Inman. I got Rob Inman in says, the Yeah, L. Diva Boyle. Yes. I wanted uh, to keep quiet. From down under the thunder, Mr. Nicholas Morentes is with us. Good eye, Nick. Good eye, everyone. <laughs> good eye, good eye. Uh, we have Jason, the Coco Man Reichert, maker of the Switcheroo, wearing a Coco Talk t shirt. Hello, Jason. Hey, everybody. Blame Canada. Hello, hello. And last <laughs> but certainly not least, creator of Z89, Steve Bjork is with us. Hey there, folks. Hey. Of course, uh, we pronounce yeah. it Z89. Z89. <laughs> actually, coming from a little cloudy, we actually had something unusual. For 15 minutes, it rained. We hey, haven't Nick. seen that since May, if not April. Wow. We wow. have not had a drop of rain since then. And I think our friends in Arizona also got a little bit of a downpour, too. Yeah. But it evaporated before it hit the ground, so it was a steam shower, right? <laughs> it wasn't that white, fluffy rain like we had up here a week ago, is it? No. Well, they started doing their weather watch or storm, first storm uh, 19 or whatever. They were doing their weather watches on the channels and like that. And we got 
maybe like a drop or two most of the day. And all of a sudden at 1030, it just let loose. I, I kind of go, what the hell's going on outside? I look outside and it was just like coming down in buckets. I'm going, this never happens. Nah, well, it happens every five minutes in Florida somewhere. So Yeah. Uh. <laughs> so, so, yeah. Florida, you can set your watch to it. Yes. Let's say hi to some people in the live chat. So Mark Overholzer in the live chat. Um, Chad Edward Cunnington is here. Nick's neighbor, another fellow Aussie. Tim Franklin is here. And uh, Davey Mitchell is here. So is Al Hartman. Hello, Al Hartman. Mark Overholzer. Alexander Wallace is here. Hunter LTU is here. Rob Inman says, do it live, is here. Eric Canales, potential president of the Glenside Computer Club. Eric Canales is with us. Tim Franklin, Mark Overholzer, Salvador Garcia of the Glenside Color Computer Club. Hello, Salvador. Hola, como esta? Uh, Salvador also says, hello, Mark and Chad. Rob Inman is here. Nick Marota, everybody say hi, Nick Marota. Hi, hi, Nick, Nick Marota. Marota. All right, Nick Marota's Marota. here. Chad Cunningham is here. Is our he's your neighbor? O U R. He's your neighbor. Uh, we've just been joined by L. David Ladd. Hello, David. Why, hello, everyone. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, we're going to keep the uh, introduction short and sweet for now. We'll play How's Your Week Been later. We can do our show and tell in a little bit. But what we're going to do is we're going to jump right into our main segment today because El Diva Boyle has uh, things to do today. So we're going to... Thank you very much. (laughs) We're going to jump in. And so last week we finished Assembly Language Part 8. I believe that was an unsigned number and no arithmetic shifts happened. However, we're going to do an an ink A right now, and we're going to increment to part nine, right? Yep, exactly. Okay, so we're going to increment this episode to part nine. Tom C. has just joined us from uh, Jersey. He's uh, he's uh, Al Hartman's neighbor. All right, so we're incrementing the episode to assembly language part nine. Hosted by the author of Clowns and Balloons himself, Mr. Steve Bjork. And uh, I would also just like to say, look at that, we got Clowns and Balloons on the screen in living, <laughs> in living color. Uh, <laughs> now, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to slightly correct you on that. James Guerin got credit for Clowns ah. and Balloons. See, he was uh, a programmer that assisted me there at Datasoft. And Datasoft had this weird policy only one person can be listed for a product wow and so i felt sorry for him after several products that he wasn't listed on so i gave him clowns and balloons and also shooting gallery ah okay so So even even though they were basically my games i i I said he's got to get some credit because if this gig at data software goes south he's got to have some credits here sure Sure. Well, that was... Are we going to have the DEFCOM thing up during this? Uh, you know, I don't think there's a need for that. I yeah, we know that... he's going to lose it this time. Let's <laughs> <laughs> we'll have, have other thoughts on that. And so what I'll do is I'll just zoom in like this, and you can look at the veins in my temples here, and if they start throbbing, <laughs> like the guy in Star Trek, those big brainiac throbbing vein head guides, right. if I start looking like that, then... Well, the, the question is, well, see, I kind of wanted the DEFCON thing, so that I know that if I'm getting too technicals or too many acronyms or something like that, I know I got to back off. 
Yeah, and then uh, that's at which point I pile on. But uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where's James? Where's James? Different after when we need him. We can have the trifecta of tech battle here. My we head need will explode. Early alerts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I need to, to wear, you guys alerts uh, there when I, Steve yeah. I need moves. to. I need to wear one of these medical bracelets here, saying that my head explodes during techno babble. I'm allergic to it. So. <laughs> you think we can get a presidential tweet to everybody? To let them know when. Uh, you know, yes, yes, yeah. Well, uh, let's see. Why don't we go ahead and get that slide up there for everybody to see this is a little different than what we've done in the past we've been talking about instructions all all the lovely instructions in the 6809 and by the way we're still not done there's a few leftover instructions we haven't covered but by golly we've got to now talk about addressing modes dressing modes is the real power the the the, the um, thing that turns the 6809 into a superhero it really is what makes the 6809 shine compared to the other 8-16-bit processors back in the day. And what, why don't we go to the first slide. Basically, what an addressing mode is, is the way the 6809 is going to address its information, the way it's going to go and grab it. And that's one of the beauties of the 6809. There is a multitude of ways to do it. I've always said with the 6809, it's never trying to figure out some way to get the 6809 to do the way you, you know, to do something you want to do. It's just trying to find one, the better ways to do it. It doesn't fight you. And that, that was the beauty. And that's what I really loved about Kodi on this processor. It's like, Oh, we could do it this way, or we could get that information that way, or we could go around this way. So it, it it's actually kind of good for a beginnings programmer to actually use the 6809 because you don't have to work so hard like the 6502. You have to use tricks like, um, uh, oh, let's say you go through and you want to address something quickly or you want to be able to have some flexibility in the way you do addressing, you have to use self-modifying code. There's just no way around it on that processor. I will add, I actually took a, a machine language course in university for second year, and the course book we had, the two main processors they concentrated on was the 6809 and then the 68000 because they were showing you the difference between the 8 and 16 bits, and that was the two they chose as the basis for teaching. And I think they had a PDP-11 in there, too, because the 609 has some, you know, cousin relationships with it as far as addressing what's code. And that's the thing is the 6809 was being developed essentially at the same time as the 68000. So they were putting a lot of the effort of this newer, more powerful 68000 chip. They're going, well, we've kind of learned it for a th few things. Let's put it on the 6809, too. So it, when I moved over to doing stuff on the Sega Genesis, it was a breeze to go from 6809 to 68,000. And of course, it was a true 16 slash 32-bit processor that really allowed you to get a, work, a lot of work done. But we're here to talk about the 6809 and like that. And as I put down here as a reference at the bottom, hold on, Stevie, this is going to be a bumpy ride. Okay. Yeah. All righty. We've talked about some of these addressing modes in our past uh, seminars. Um, some of them are very straightforward. In the case of the increment A, that's the INCA, the register A is the addressing mode here. Basically, this is 
you know, it's kind of built into the instruction. It says, whatever we're going to work at, we're going to be working on the A register. In the case of the ink A, it adds one to A. And some of the other ones are ink B, uh, decrement A, decrement B, clear A, clear B, complement A, complement B. As I said, what it works on is in the instruction. Uh, these are typically one byte instructions. They run very quick. And that's one of the reasons why you see them a lot in the programs is they're useful, they're quick, they're fast, they get the job done. But it, this inherent, this addressing mode that's called inherent basically means that we're addressing something that is inherent in the way the instruction is named. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Uh, we're keeping um, CV here at DEF CON 1, I can see. I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, immediate addressing means that the address is part of the instruction. Next is that slide. supposed to switch lines? Okay, switch lines. Yep. Yeah, let's, let's, let's switch lines. Okay. okay. The instruction actually holds the data to be used. It's inside there. A good example of this is add to A the number 16. It's a two-byte instruction. The first byte is the actual command of add to A, and the second byte, holds the number 16. So we're basically saying that the information in this addressing mode is immediate. It is part of the instruction. It's very quick and it's also used quite a bit too um, throughout uh, the 6809. So if you want to add a number to D or you're, you want to load a number into the X register, these are all immediate. It's part of the instruction. And if you're not doing self-modifying code, it never changes. Now, because the A register is an 8-bit register, it's automatically going to assume whatever you're feeding into it's not bigger than 8 bits. So you don't have to worry about an overflow or a state or anything else like that, right? Well, you don't have to worry about the fact that you're trying to add a 16-bit number. In other words, a, a word, two bytes to a 8-bit 8 8-bit number. Now, there's also the add to D, which is a 16-bit. And it'll actually grab both of those bytes for that from within the instruction so <clears throat> and it, basically it just means that the information is part of the instruction okay very quick very fast uh, it's not going to go i have to look somewhere else in memory to find it it's right there so it's immediate it kind of sounds like its name yep all right if we're good on that let's move to the next slide yep extended addressing is where with inside the instruction is the 16-bit pointer. And remember, with 16 bits, which is two bytes or a word, you can point to any place that the 1609 can reference. And they call this extended addressing because within the instruction, we have two bytes. They're referring to where we're going to find the information in the full 64K of memory. And let's see, an example of this is load A with dollar sign FF02. This means load up A with the contents that is at hexadecimal FF02. So it basically loads A with the data that is at this IO port. In the COCO, for example, FF02 is an IO port. It talks to information outside the computer through this little chip. And that gets put into the A register. 
Doing okay there, Stevie? Yep, yep, yep. Yep. Not too many acronyms there. No. Nope. The, uh, let's let's stay on that slide though. Okay. Uh, a couple more things. Just want to really emphasize the address to talk to this memory. You know, to figure out where the memory location is is definitely inside the instruction again. Before the information that was inside the instruction was the physical data. Here, the difference is this is the address of the physical data. So it's actually got to do a lookup on what's in that location to load it yes. into there. Exactly. Yeah. It's a little slower because mm -hmm. it has to figure out the address, go look for it in memory, and come back with the data. It's but basically the, like saying doing a peek from this location and then... Yep. Yeah. Yep. In the case now, of a load, yes. Yeah. And, of course, one of the nice things about this is you're not having to waste a register to point to this location. It, it's just part of the instruction. There are times that you're going to want to have uh, a register point to someplace, but this makes it very quick to load up something that's sitting in memory without having to waste a register. And registers, while we do have a few on the 6809, it's not like the uh, 68,000 where we got 16 of them. You know, it's just, we don't have a lot of registers to waste. Okay. So this, that's really why this extended addressing, and it's pretty common in most processors to have this extended addressing mode where the location that you want to grab the data is sitting as part of the instruction. Let's go to the next slide now. I'll just add to the, like the load A example we've got here where it's getting, you know, whatever stored at memory location FFO2 is equivalent of a peak. If you're doing a store to a memory location, it's equivalent of a poke. Mm -hmm. exactly. So if that was an STA, that would be store A? Yep. yep. Exactly. Whatever's okay. an A gets stored at whatever memory location you tell it to. All right. Now, one thing about doing this is you have to have within the instruction two bytes that talk about the address of what we're doing with the extended addressing. And that can make the program a little larger. It can make it slightly slower. As I said, it's got to load up the entire address from the actual instruction. So it always makes the instruction two bytes longer. Well, when they were developing the 6800 and the folks that did the 6502, they liked the idea. Something that was developed called direct addressing. It's basically a, a shorthanded version of extended addressing. Now, in the earlier processors, it would simply say, oh, direct addressing, um, you've got a 16-bit address. The top half of that 16-bit address is always going to be zero. And within the instruction, we're going to carry the lower eight bits of the address. So it only makes the instruction one byte longer. And since it doesn't have to do that low to the upper byte, it knows it's going to be zero. Hey, that means it'll be a little quicker. So it and shorter. And shorter. So this actually makes the program shorter and run a little faster. Now, the guys that developed the 6809 said, hey, let's make it more flexible and call it direct page and include a register that will hold what those upper eight bits are, the upper half of the instruction. So you can literally move your direct page anywhere in memory as long as you're doing in steps 
of 256 bytes. Every 256 bytes, you can have a new direct page just by loading up the register. So, I will mention the 6502, actually, if I remember correctly, they referenced it as zero page because literally you can yeah. only have it at zero. So, and, and then direct page with the 609 having the DP register, the direct page register that points to the upper was so much more flexible because now you could you know, move it to wherever you needed, you know, some speed and space savings. Uh, OS 9 uses it extensively for your loading different processes because everybody gets their own direct page. It doesn't interfere with each other's. If you only had one zero page, every every process or thread or whatever would have to keep track of exactly who's doing what so I don't overwrite something somebody else did. Yeah, it, it really made this processor be flexible. It made it a user, a multi-user, multitasking operating system. But the real emphasis here is this is a way to create a shorthand. At the beginning of your program, you set the direct page to where you want your direct page variables, where you want these shorthand variables to be at. Most programmers just set, set the direct page to zero and just use the first 256 bytes for the direct page. But as I said, you have the option of moving anywhere. And if we go to the next slide, we'll see an example where if we had set direct page to one, instead of in our example, which was looking at memory location 71, he is now going to look at memory location 171x because it's getting that one from the direct page register and the 71 is from the program. So the main emphasis here is direct page or what was called zero page processing is a way to do a shorthand to talk to just 256 bytes of RAM and get in there quick and like that. So a lot of important variables in your program get stored in direct page, things that you're gonna constantly access all the time. So like if you wanted to have the count of number of lives, which we know we have to basically extend for Stevie lots of time, <laughs> we would store the current life count in direct page. It makes it fast, it makes it quick for accessing, all the different parts of the program can access it. It's a convenient way to get your important variables down. Yeah, and in Steve's case, we would put the uh, level number he's on in extended page because it's slower and it doesn't get access as much because he never gets past level two. So, <laughs> so. I, I want to mention one other thing too, just a, a real life example. The patches I've been doing to rescue on fractals, which I've got about running 10 to 20% faster now, there's chunks of the program that do the calculations for the 3D terrain mapping, and then there's calculations that actually do the drawing of the 3D mapping, which is a multi-layered thing as it builds out from the back of the screen, like as far back into the screen as you can go up to your right in front of you. And one of the patches I did that did speed it up is that those chunks are done separately. So it does all this math calculation for fractals. It takes a huge amount of code, and then it's got a whole bunch for the drawing. And I just changed the direct page between those two. So I think it was five and seven in, in that particular case where all the calculations for the one type are in five and all the calculations for the other type are in seven. So I managed to shorten the code and speed it up just doing that. Mm -hmm. So how are we doing with direct page here for you, Stevie? Uh, it's, I'm fine right now. Okay. So think of it as a shorthand or quickie way to get to variables. Mm -hmm. Don't have a lot of them, but the important ones you'll want to put there to make your program run faster. Good. Okay. Well, let's go to the next slide. All right, this is where it starts getting a little bumpy. 
because it is the superpower of the 6809. Index addressing. And at this point, we're going to spend almost all of the rest of the um, session here on index addressing. Um, as you know, there are four main index registers, the X, Y, S, which is the stack pointer, and the U, which is the user stack pointer. The program counter can also be used as an index register in some of the uh, types we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But um, the main ones we're talking about here are X, Y, S, and U. They're all 16-bit, so they can all point to anywhere in the 64K of the Cocos memory. And indexing, like you would think about your index cards, you go through and you got a whole bunch of cards, and where you're looking at in those cards, that's your index point. That's the point you're at. But the thing is, the 1609 lets you say, hey, I can go forward three cards, or I can go back five cards. And the interesting way it works is that you're able to kind of like keep that pointer, like you have your index finger inside the card stuff, you know, so you don't forget that point and you can just move back three cards and look at something there. And when you're done looking at it, you, you still got your finger pointing in that index card list. So you know where you're at. So okay. th this is where we're going to get into the stuff is that's it. Think about index cards, your finger in the middle of the index where you want to make your reference and how you can go backwards and forwards. Okay. So that's what we're going to be doing. Let's, Go to the next slide. Well, I think last week the stock in uh, buffets and uh, especially Golden Crown went up talking about the plate analogy. So now hopefully the index card uh, industry will take a little spike now after this do one. Dewey decimal cards are back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, they are. There are definitely many ways to use the index registers since these registers are all 16-bit. I was kind of covering that a little bit with the analogy of the uh, card index, uh, they can point to anywhere. And as I say, this is the true power of the 1609 is because there's many options to use them. And this is where the power comes in, where I keep saying it's not, the 1609 is not trying to find a way to do something, it's finding the best way to do something. And don't worry too much about the way you're doing it when you're first coding is the best way you'll learn as you're going through what is the best way. Right now, we just want to get it done without a problem, without bugs. Yeah. As a beginning programmer, the best way to do indexing is whatever's easiest for you to understand and keep track of. Right. Later on, you can worry about optimizing for speed and size and a bunch of other things when you start learning some of the tricks, but they're definitely more complicated to keep track of. So if we don't want you to DEFCON 5 right off the bat here, we want to keep it on the... The KISS principle, I guess. Exactly. And when we get down to one of the, lighter, one of the later slides, that's when we're definitely raise, going up one uh, DEF CON level for sure. So it, it'll be good to know, but don't have to necessarily try and use it right away. Let's go to the next slide. Well, in that card analogy that I used, um, basically referencing to where your finger is sticking in that uh, stack of cards, that list of cards, that's the easiest way to refer to something is where you're already at. And that's basically 
offset zero. This basically means where the indexer register is pointing, that's where you're going to get your information. And let's see. Basically, that can be referred to as a load A with zero comma X, or it could be just simply load A with comma X. If you don't have anything before the comma, the default is it's zero. It means where X is pointing. Now, the index off the, um, the zero offset off the register is very quick because the instruction knows you're not adding anything to it. You just want to point there. And so it only really adds one byte to the instruction, just telling it we're index zero. All addressing modes have at least one byte added to them. You got the instruction, and then you got the thing that says the type of index you're doing. Remember before with direct page, you had the instruction, then you had which one of the direct page uh, memory locations you're going to, and that was one byte. This is, there's one byte that says, we're doing this type of instruction. It's very fast, very quick. When a programmer can use it, they like to use it a lot, right, Curtis? Oh, yeah. When you're, and it's just like when you're in that index card, you got your finger in the slot. It's very easy to look right there and see it. 16 online likes it like that. Let's go to the next slide. The next one has to do with a constant offset. This is where, remember I talked about you keep your finger pointed at one spot in all that list of cards, mm -hmm. but you want to go three backwards. This is where it comes in, or four backwards, or four ahead. That information about how far to move back, how far to go forward, that's included inside the instruction. It does not change unless you do self-modifying code. So it allows you to simply keep a finger which is the, let's say in this case, the X register, keep in the same location, move forward four cards. That's what the load A four comma X is. Load A at the fourth card down and you get the information. And of course the beauty is your finger is still in that uh, card stack. It hasn't moved. In other words, the X register hasn't been changed or updated. It stays the same. So it allows you to sit there and grab something from memory, but four bytes later, or a hundred bytes later, or a thousand bytes before, just depending on how you want to get the information out of there. An example that we might use something 32 bytes later on a Coco Model 1, 2 screen that is developed, it's got 32 bytes of memory per scan line. So if you want to look at something exactly one scan line down, you would say 32 comma X, 32 bytes later than where X is pointing. So you could see this gets used quite a bit for graphic modes yeah. and, and stuff like that. I'll throw in one other example, uh, more to Steve's you know gaming persona. Um, let's say X is pointing to a, a, a block of data describing an alien ship or something like that. You might have zero comma X is the alien's X position on the screen. One comma X might be the alien's Y position on the screen. Two comma X might be what kind of an alien you're drawing, like, like you did in your game Cosmic Aliens where you have multiple aliens. So basically you would load X point to whatever alien you're currently working on. 
So if you have five of them, you would have five different locations that you could load an X, and then you'd have these little offsets within the kind of these tables. And I'm done. You know, Steve's going to get more into this with the object-oriented stuff later. But basically, you can use that just to constantly reference, and then you don't have to figure out, you know, Alien One is stored here, and Alien Two is stored here, and I got to do the multiplications to figure out where about this information will be. You just point to the start of each one, and then these constant offsets, you can just grab those variables right straight off. Hopefully, it's not confusing for you, Stevie. Okay. And, and we'll definitely get in that because object-oriented coding allows you to have the same code work on different guys. And you could have like three balls bouncing on the screen. And the only thing different between the three different balls bouncing on the screen is their data. They don't have to, because if you had hard-coded, that's the term we use, hard-coded their information in direct page, you would have to have a different routine for each one of those balls because they would be looking at a different place in direct page to find that information. So it'll it'll be a technique that I definitely will be, be teaching everybody early on in the assembly language course that goes for writing more efficient code, less buggy code, and uh, just generally a more pleasurable way of doing things. Much, much easier to keep track of stuff, yes. <laughs> exactly. But still, you, you got the idea that this allows you to talk to, say, the fourth card down from where you're pointing inside mm -hmm. that index list. Right, okay. Stevie? Yeah. Okay. So we're doing good. We still got you at DEF CON 5, right? Yep. Okay. Oh, I plan to change that later. <laughs> <laughs> And this is one point where we might shave a, 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 a half a point off of that, bringing it up slightly. Constant, con, constant offset in dressing mode um, has three different options, three different ways of doing it. And it all depends about how far away from where you're pointing in the index list do you want to go. Let's say that you just want to go back about eight cards that could be done very simply with the first type of offset. It has to do with a sine four bit offset, which allows you to go back 16 one way, negative 16, or a positive 15. The second way of doing it is a sine seven bit offset, which allows you to go 128 backwards or negative, or 127 forward. So you can see we're, we've got a we got a pretty long card cattle here where mm -hmm. you know, we can go, you know, more than 100 cards backwards and forwards. But let's say that's not enough. Let's say that you've got one of these um, ones you'd see in a comedy movie where you pull out the card index and it's about, um, oh, I don't know, 30 or 40 feet long. Mm -hmm. It literally holds 64,000 cards. Well, where X is pointing, you can move backwards and forwards a negative 32,768 to a positive 32,767, which is a signed 16-bit offset. So you can move all the way through memory that you want. Now, why would you do three of these, and why would they be set up with these ranges? Uh, probably just for efficiency. If you don't need to go too far, why waste the processing time? Or Exactly. Exactly. Each one of these different modes adds an extra byte. As I said, all indexing operations 
require at least one byte to say what type of indexing it is. And then in the case of the one where we're looking at assigned seven bit mode, that adds an extra byte. And the last one adds a two extra bytes to figure it out. So it- And they it, get slower the bigger you get too. It gets slower because it's got to do more calculations and it's got to load the data. Now here's something interesting. I kept on saying something about all the indexing modes are at least one byte in size. And one of the things that they figured out in the 6809 is we're gonna to have to do a lot of references close to where we're pointing. And they had just enough room when they're figuring out all the different addressing modes that they could put inside that byte that says what addressing mode we're doing. We could put five bits or in something that actually does assign four bit operation to go negative 16 to a positive 15 within that byte. It was very complicated for them to do it. It was very hard to work out. We're thankful they did because it allows us this very special mode. So that's uh, basically the different styles and why you got it right on the nose. It has to do with efficiency. The first one's most efficient because we're not gonna add anything to it to figure out this constant index off of it. The next one, we add just one byte. And for in the case of the uh, six, sign 16-bit, we add two bytes. So yeah, it's all about efficiency. Now in the case that I give here, the load A with 32 comma X, gee, could that be the next scan line in the video buffer? Anyways, that would require one byte added to the instruction for the sign seven bit offset. Where if we had said uh, four comma X, it would have just been a single byte instead of two bytes there. Okay, how are we doing there, Stevie? Bytes or bits? 32 is four, four bytes? Well, no, well, no, I'm sorry. I'm, I confuse them back and forth. Um, yeah, 32 would add one byte. Yeah, it would fall into that second one, the negative 120 to positive 127 range, because that's beyond mm -hmm. a plus 15. Right. Yep. So it would, add, it would add the one byte and slow okay. it down slightly. Yeah, you lose one CPU cycle on that one. I think you lose two to three or something on the 16-bit. I can't remember the exact yeah. offset. But. Yeah, the, the, um, that's one thing to keep in mind. When we start working sometimes with... Uh, information that's three two bit excuse me 16 bits in size two bytes it the cpu kind of has to do things twice a little bit so it really slows it down but still we've got these efficiencies in here and once again these offsets to the x register the y register do not change or affect um the register itself. The yeah. register itself. Yeah, it's it's it it's still you got your fingers still in the card index pointing while you're looking somewhere else, and yet gotcha. you know it's still there. It's still pointing that location. So it's 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 definitely a very powerful type of operation. It's used quite a bit in the sixty-nine coding, as you can see. The thirty-two uh, uh, X comma four uh, definitely. Um, helps. Let's move to the next slide if we're doing okay there. Mm -hmm. Now, 
you can also do this type of operation where you have a you know a constant offset with the program counter and this is typically used to talk to like hey i want to load up um the address of a data table or i want to make reference of of some information somewhere else and but that information is part kind of part of the program it makes it so that i can point to it and it's what we call pc relative or program counter relative it makes sure that if i move the program and i move i can move the data with it it will know where the data is but it's 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 a way to reference information but when they did this particular mode there is no smaller negative 16 to positive 15 offset it's just strictly the seven bit offset and the 15 bit offset the signed offsets okay I'm looking so, at a byte or a word there for this yeah exactly so not yeah you can't get as efficient as what the index registers allow for but at least you still have this option where you can index off the pc register and there are some handy times for that but just making a, you everybody aware of this mode exists and we will be using it in much later lessons next slide sometimes when we go through and we want to we put the finger in we might have to do a calculation to figure out where we want to offset from and of course we know that the a and b registers can be used for 8-bit calculations and the D register can be used for 16-bit calculations. A good example for this is let's say for ex that you want to talk to the 20th line or no, let's just say the 10th line of video memory. Well, you would use the A, B, and D registers the following. You would load up A with the fact that you are the number 10, the 10th line. Um, or whatever you're referring to. The B register would load up with the number of bytes uh, per line. Per line, And you could use the multiply command that would multiply A and B uh, together. And you would now be looking at the number 320 in the D registers. Remember, the D register is the A and B register put together to make a total of 16 bits. And we can use that as an offset. So if you sit there and say load A with D comma X, you would now be loading information off the 10th line. So you can see we can do calculations to figure out where we want to offset to. And that's what uh, this particular type of indexing is all about. Now remember, this indexing is either assigned 7-bit or assign 15-bit. In other words, it can go negative or positive. Okay. So, as I, you know, and if you need to refer back to it in one of the previous lessons, we talked about math and how the sign works and like that. Okay. Doing okay there? Yep. All right. Next slidey. All right. Sometimes, if you're pointing somewhere in that card index, it would nice to be able to automatically move the pointer when we look to the card. Let's say you look at the card and you say, nope, that's not the book I want. You take your index pointing finger and you move it to the next card. And that allows you to remind that the next time you're looking at that index card list, that you're now looking at this one 
instead of the previous one. This is typical if you wanted to uh, write a bunch of information to graphics memory because you're going to be moving along. You write information to the memory location and then you want to move the pointer to the next one so the next time you go through that loop, that next instruction, whatever, the X is now pointing to the next location that you want to talk to. And that's where we come into auto increment and auto decrement. Remember mm -hmm. increment A where we add one? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the thing is in processors, we do a lot of just adding ones to things. So we have an auto increment, auto decrement. For the most part, it's adding one to the index register. And yes, Curtis, I will cover the exception. <laughs> okay. I was also going to mention like an excellent example of this is just clear the screen. If yep. you want to clear the text screen with zero, you would do store A, you'd load A with zero first, and then you'd do store A X plus after pointing X to the start of the screen. And then you just keep it in a loop and you check to see when you're done the screen. It would just keep incrementing X. So store A X plus, it would start at, say, 1024. The next time would be 2025. The next would be 1026. And you could basically yeah. open the whole screen. Well, see, the reason why they do this is one of the most common things that people do in other processors is that after they store the information somewhere, they then have an instruction that increments or adds one to that pointer. So the beauty of it is in one instruction, you, do, both. you do both. You do what most processors do in two instructions. All right, so store is like a poke. Yep, store is so like this, a poke. This is basically saying poke x comma what's in value a and then x equals x plus one, but it's saying that all in one statement. Exactly. Exactly, that's all there's to it. It allows you to move. now. This is the first instruction that actually changes the index register. See, all those other ones, we've left the finger pointing in that index card list and not moved it, even though we looked at things that were somewhere else. This one actually changes it and causes it to move forward by one. Let's go to the next slide if we're doing okay. Mm -hmm. All right. What if you're trying to read or write a 16-bit number. That's two bytes. If you did something like store X, um, Y plus one, it would only move the index register one byte. That doesn't work for 16-bit numbers where there are two bytes. So they have an auto increment that moves forward by two bytes. And you can see here, we've got a store X, Y plus plus. That's how you tell the microprocessor not to move once, but move twice. Now, I'm saying here that it's basically adding two to, to, I mean, adding two to Y. I made a mistake there. I put the X. That's supposed to be the Y register. Eh, something for me to correct on these slides. Anyways, you must use the right number of pluses when you're writing your code. A store A plus plus will store the data at every other byte of memory because it will increment twice. If you do a store A uh, plus, it will work with writing to every byte of memory. So it's up to you as the programmer to decide and remember to use either increment once or increment twice based on the number of pluses. And by the way, the processor, the way it really does it is it writes one byte, increments, writes the second byte, and then increments again. 
essentially. So yeah, it, takes, it, takes cycles. it takes cycles to do this. Exactly. Because yeah. you're writing two bytes, it takes two cycles, and like that. But, you know, the whole idea here was to make it so you don't have to use two instructions. You're combining them into one, and it makes it a little faster. And once you get used to it, easier to write code. Yeah, and saves room, too, because otherwise you have literally two instructions. You have to do a story, comma, y, which takes a couple of bytes, and then, and then, you and have then to do ink and add two. Yeah. 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 So it speeds it up, makes the program shorter. Everybody's happy. And then we thank the designers of the 6809 for doing that. All right. As I said, in the case of like X plus and X2, it moves the pointer. But when does it? It does it afterwards. We call this post-auto increment. It means that it stores the information or reads the information or whatever it's going to do. Then it moves the pointer. Well, we also have, as I said before, auto decrement. It works backwards. It does the decrementing before it reads or write using the pointer. In other words, the pointer changes first by the decrement, and then it points to the location you're going to pull up the information. That makes sense, Stevie? Yep. Now I'm going to try to preemptively assume, is there a double minus if you want to do two bytes? Yep. Yep. There is okay. two. Yeah. There is two if you want to do two, but, um, that's known as a double negative. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you would think that, Oh, then we will increment. No, 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 no. But the most important thing to say here is the fact that in the auto increment, it happens afterwards automatically, basically after the instruction, it is now pointing to the new location. In the case of the um, auto decrement, it's a pre-decrement. It happens before the register gets used. So it'll decrement and then do the read or write to memory. Then in a case of a double decrement, it'll then decrement again and then use memory. So that's another reason why we put the minus sign before the index register. If we notice, well, yes, yeah, because that that's telling you visually that it's happening yes. first, where the plus is at the end, it's showing you visually it's happening after. And the exactly. assembler, if you do it bad, if you do it wrong, it will actually error out. So okay. it helps you catch this if you, you and okay. it triggers your brain to remember which way it's working. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and much like the um, where we had the single and double pluses, you must remember to use the single or double pluses, whether you're writing a byte at a time or a word at a time, which is two bytes. you got to remember that or else when you start doing this uh, stuff, you're going to get weird graphics on the screen or other weird effects in the program. But once again, you know, you don't have to use this auto increment and auto decrement in the beginning you can do it as two separate instructions if it makes it easier for you to program and understand your code. Mm -hmm. So it, or if it, you're coming it, from a 6502 and that's pretty well all you have. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Or else you do, or else you do self-modifying code. Let's put it this way. If you want to do anything in the 6502, you pretty much are writing self-modifying code. All right. If we're okay there, Stevie, I know mm -hmm. we, it, 
this is one of the ones that can get a little bumpy. No, so far so good. All right. Okay, I lost the bet so far. We'll see if Steve, Steve wins. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes, and just to kind of reiterate everything we talked about here, you know, the two types of auto decrementing are the single minus and the double minus that come in front of the X. And they're basically, you know, if you got two of them, it is going to subtract two, but they're done in one step at a time. And the reason why they did it this way, it mimics, it mimics the way the stack works in the computer. Remember that pushing down plates and pulling things up mm -hmm. that we talked about in a previous lesson. Well, yeah. that's the way the stack works is the way this auto incrementing works. It does the increment afterwards when you pull it off the stack, but when you're pushing it down, you're storing the information on the stack, it does the decrement first. So there is a reason why they do these differently, is just so that it can mimic the way the stack operations work too. And in fact, you do you sometimes use these on the stack if you if you push some stuff in the stack and you only want to get to death count three. We do not want to go to death oh, okay. count three. Darn. Yeah. Well, it might help somebody win a bet. <laughs> <laughs> I already lost, so I, I oh, no I've got this right here that's gonna gonna send you for a loop unless I can explain it well, but not quite yet. Well, we're almost there. Remember in one of our previous lessons, we talked about- Am I, am I advancing slides next, or are you just next, still- next, anecd okay. next slide, next slide. All right. All right. In the um, 6809, we've got more one more indexing trip up the sleeve and it's, we kind of touched upon it already with the on X go to that we try to emulate from basic in the 6809. That was the jump with a bracket B comma X bracket. This told it to jump to where it, to use the data in the jump that it found at B comma X. This is so you could have a bunch of tables that said where you go. This is known as extended indirect addressing and it's available on virtually all the different addressing modes. So every addressing mode that we talked about here, you could sit there and say where the index car, where you got your finger in the end index uh, thing. And then if we skip forward and now we found the card that we're actually looking at, it had that Dewey decimal number on it. And it told you where based on a Dewey de decimal number, you could find it in the bookshelf. That's what extended indirect addressing. It allows you to sit there and say, I'm not actually pointing to the data. I'm actually pointing to where you will find, you know, the information about where to find the data. The pointer to the pointer. Exactly. So you were, we're going up one step in the meta meta. Okay. We are, are we saying we're now looking at the information on the card that has the Dewey decimal number that tells us where in the bookshelf to find the book. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And and the indirect modes are always designated by those square brackets. So if you're using extended indirect or indexed indirect or any of these other ones here, the square brackets are what are telling you and telling the assembler that that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, we're, we're, we're now saying what you're looking at isn't the final place. We're going to grab that information and that information is going to tell us where in the hell to find that book. So, okay. Okay. So it's a, it's, a, it's a card that 
points to another card. And on that you, card is where we're going. Right. Yep. Okay. Now, the reason okay. why we do this in the 6809 is so you don't have to waste time loading up another register with that data. You would find at BCOM Acts and then having to load up that data and going somewhere. So we're actually able to combine not only two instructions and one here so we could get to that book, but the fact that we don't have to waste a register doing it. And Not to the, mention multiple instructions. Multiple instruction. So it makes the code faster. It makes it simpler. You're, you're not having to waste your limited number of index registers to find that location. So this is where the power of the 6809 really shines, is the ability to do this rather complicated. Have a pointer with a finger inside the card rex and card index. Move to someplace relative to it to look up the card information to find the Dewey Decimal number to actually find the book on the shelf. And this helps a lot in a lot of the programming we're going to be doing later. But it is very—it's one of the keys. It's a literally superpower. Now, okay. now as I said before, there's a couple of addressing modes. This does not work with and that is when you do an auto increment or decrement by one and it makes sense you're looking at 16 bits two bytes of data you don't want to increment by one you'd only go halfway through the address so you have to use auto increment or decrement by two that's where we had the two plus signs mm -hmm. or the two minus signs so that's, that is one restriction. Other than that, it's available. This auto, this, this uh, indirect addressing is available on all the different index addressing yeah. modes. Yeah, it's available. And, and the main reason for that, not allowing the, the single, and, and single increment, single decrement, is because these are pointers to pointers, and a pointer is pointing to 64K. So you need two bytes to tell it where to go to find whatever data you're trying to look up. So having the single plus minus just would not make sense because you would not be able to point to the actual location. Yep. And if anybody remembers Dewey Decimal Systems, just like a 16-bit pointer, which is two bytes, which is kind of a long bit of information, uh, so can that Dewey Decimal number be. I remember having to write it down many times <laughs> trying to find the book. I was just going to mention, if you remember Dewey Decimal, you're old, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, I do remember it. I do remember it. So I used it. <laughs> hey, it was the only way to find something in the university. But uh, okay, so are we doing here good, Stevie? So far, so good. Nobody's winning a bet. Okay. I didn't even get you to DEFCON 4, huh? Nope. Next slide. Yeah. The next slide, and I pretty much already covered that in what I was saying. You don't need to load up a register to look up the address for somewhere else using this indirect in, I mean, indirect, extended indirect addressing. And it speeds up looking up data tables. It, it's, uh, data tables are something we're gonna definitely get into when we talk about using uh, the 6809 as part of actually writing code and programs. But data tables are very important and like that. Let's go to the next slide. 
One term that I've been avoiding using because Stevie doesn't like acronyms <laughs> is effective addressing. I just have an acronym per slide quota. No more yep. than three, no more than three, three letter acronyms per slide. That's why you don't like David Lass. <laughs> I, I got it now. Okay. And this is only two letters, so okay. it's a little easier and you can't spell a foul word with them. Oh, electronic arts, EA. Yep. <laughs> the, the yeah, is two. <laughs> okay, you're back at the um, index card register. You got your finger in there and you're using that zero offset and your finger's pointing in there. That is the effective address. That is where we're going. If you were to say that you want to look backwards for cards, that is the effective address because it's where your main finger is pointing and then four cards back. So that's the term we use for whenever the 6809 is basically going to point to a location in memory to get its data is the effective address. And we also have an instruction called load effective address in the 6809 that works with these modes. And this is where it gets a little bumpy. Okay. Um, just to kind of show you briefly, the load effective address can be used to load into the X, Y, U, and S register. There's 16 bit pointers. It's a way to take the effective address and move it into one of your index registers. That's essentially what we're doing. So it's load effective address in X, Y, U, and S. There is no load effective address for the PC register, the program counter. Okay. It can be used in the reference, but there is no LEA PC. But you can definitely load up any one of the four standard index registers using the load effective, load effective address command. And on the next slide, we've got some examples. Let's say that you want to use your data pointer called data table a lot. You want a register to point to it and use references to it. Well, load effective address, um, data table comma PC will allow you to get that data register and table and load it into the X register. Because what it's saying is we've calculated effective address that's data, data table comma PC. And we're now transferring into the X register. The next one will make much more sense. Load effect, effective address 32 comma X. That means... Am I on the wrong slide? Okay. Uh, yeah, go to yeah. the next slide. Sorry. There we go. Sorry. Uh, the next example I've got here is load effective address 32 comma X. Well, remember before X is pointing those cards, we skip ahead 32 cards. We have a new effective address of whatever X has plus 32. And that's now moved into the X register. We effectively just added the number 32 to X. Okay. And it's still with me. Load effective address of X. Uh -huh. You're basically saying stick into X whatever is 32 bytes forward? 
Yep. Of x. Yeah, it's it's yep. basically x equals x plus or x equals thirty two plus x. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's a way to sit there and add numbers to index registers. If you want to move it thirty two bytes, this you know the which this, would be a text scan line or even a graphic scan line for this case exactly. Here. Right. So I want to move okay. down one line. So if I'm drawing a line from the top of the top of the screen to the bottom of the screen, I could use this thirty two com x to move one scan line. Okay. It's a very quick whatever the effective address was, which would be like wherever in memory your screen was, for example, yeah. your text yeah. screen or your graphic screen. Yeah. Right. It, it, it's a very easy way to add numbers to an index register. Uh, the next one, uh, by the way, in all operations of the processor, uh, you're sitting there saying load up this uh, X register with 32 comma X, wouldn't it get confused? No, the the actual transfer of information to the X register happens after the instruction is completed. So X gets 32 added to it, then gets transferred into X. So the next one, load effective address X m- minus X. That does the auto decrementing to X and you know, it 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 basically is doing a decrement to X. This type of instruction is put in here so you could use X as a counter. Uh, so let's say that it was a fairly large number. Let's say like um, the size of the screen, you know, which is over 6K. You could load up X with the size of the screen. You do load effective address minus X. And it will auto decrement. It will sit there and subtract one from X. You could have also said uh, load effective address uh, minus one comma X too. Both of these will cause the X register to subtract by one. So you're now able to use the X register not only as an index register, but as a counting register for a loop. Handy if you've got something that's bigger than 256 uh, steps. Yep. yep. Yeah. So this is a way to to um, to use it for counting. So these are just three simple examples of load effective address. And, and uh, you can get much more sophisticated because you your your register that you're using to calculate whatever you're putting into whatever register that you've picked for the LEA instruction itself can be different registers. You can have uh, LEAX 32 comma Y. Mm-hmm. Basically means x equals y plus thirty-two. So you're yep. actually doing additions between completely different things and putting them into a new register. Thank you, Curtis. That's that's a point that I kind of skipped here, but yeah, it is. It, it's a very powerful command. You could actually load off where the stack pointer is pointing using this. You can get all sorts of information moved around. Now, it should be noted that only the load effective address x and load effective uh, address Y operations will affect the zero flag. See, like if you did like added two numbers together in the A register and the answer became zero, the zero flag would get set. Well, the load effective address X and Y's affect the zero flag. So if we're using the example I have here of load effective address negative X and I'm using it for counting down, See, when we reach zero, what happens? Our zero flag gets set. So it allows it 
to work very good. Now, otherwise, none of the condition codes, things like negative or carrier or these other condition code flags will be affected by this instruction. So it lets us use it for counting. That's mostly what it's used for if we're trying to do something that requires you know, a lot of steps like the wiping an entire screen. Got a question for you. Mm -hmm. Does LEAS and LEAU affect the zero flag? I think they do. I'm not sure. They do not. No, they do not. Ah, interesting. Yep. Because those are used for pushing and pulling information off the stack. And they didn't want that to affect the stuff. So you have to remember X and Y will affect the zero flag, but the uh, S and and U will not. And I've seen people get mixed up because I've seen infinite loops because somebody was using the U register to count some number. I, I did that once. <laughs> yeah, I've done it too. Yeah, so you, you gotta be careful. Okay. All right. And let's go to that final slide. So we're doing okay, Stevie. We didn't. We're doing good. Okay. Uh, basically, that is it for the addressing modes right now. We'll get into more how to use them and how effectively. But that's pretty much the whole gambit as far as addressing modes, especially when it comes with the index. And as you can see, Steve, they're really powerful. They give you lots of options to do things. Yeah. Now. In our next instruction, in next lesson, we're going to look at the last instructions that I haven't covered, like the multiply command and um, exchange and transfer and other things. It's just going to move information around inside the CPU. So we will have covered in our 10th lesson all the instructions and addressing modes, more or less, in the 16 line. There's a couple of things I'm going to go over, which has to do with interrupts and hardware. And we'll cover those as we actually cover inter interrupts and hardware. And let's see, then we're going to get into actual doing some coding. And this is part of the show where I can't say how much I'm enjoying Paul's Long Branch Never series out there on you out there on uh, YouTube and like that. It mm -hmm. is a great series. He is I don't know if he calls it episode zero or one actually will allow you to get set up with doing assembly on your computer. And I highly recommend going to YouTube, look for long branch. Never. Mm -hmm. I, I have a link to that. I'll be showing when we get to the news uh, segment today, because we're going to use his model also for our classes. I figure that's the best thing. He's got a series going what he's got set up for doing assembly language. We're actually going to be writing on the PC. We're going to use emulators on the PC, and then we'll eventually get the code inside of a Cocoa. But this is the fastest way for people that have modern computers to get down and get dirty with a little bit of uh, 6809 goodness. There you go. 6809 goodness. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I like to use the, six, the uh, OS9 assembler myself, but... All right. Well, all right. Well, how about we do this? How long have we been doing this now? It's been an hour. 
We've been yeah. into the show for an hour now. Well, thank you, Steve, for all of that. It was a lot of information. Mm-hmm. And I just inform- want to add one more thing real fast. Uh-huh. Once we get less, less than 10 in, this has been the plan all along. Stevie and I are going to work together. We're going to take the slides, make them available as a PDF, and also put all the different segments together in one video. There we go. And uh, so look for that coming to a YouTube channel near you. um yeah so we're gonna take a break here in just a second but yeah this has been a great little segment and i'm I'm glad we got paul here because we're gonna be talking about long branch never and and setting up an environment which i'm about 80 percent through so we'll hold the questions and comments until after the break but everybody good everybody in the panel good so far Mm -hmm. yep yeah, all right. I think Steve I'm, Jones is doing an outstanding job explaining all of this. All right. And James Jones says, "Applause, well done, Steve." Um, yeah, there's been a lot of there's been a lot of sidebar chat going on during the whole presentation, and so we'll we'll look at some of that when we come back. All right. So we're going to take our first uh, brief break. So smoke them if you got them, potty if you have to. We'll be back here in just a minute. Call, call, talk, turn after these messages. What if you could go back in time to just the right moment and ensure that Tandy won? You definitely earned this office. Thank you. Yes, you're too kind. Oh, I'm much happier breaking stuff. Life has been a dream. (laughs) But what if you went back to the wrong moment? Give me that. How do you even know what that was? Listen, I don't really care about these blueprints. I just want Say, who are you? You want to spy for Commodore or something, are you? Just move! Hey, hey, hold the elevator! Hold the up! Stop right there! Whoa, whoa, no need for guns, no need for guns! So, Mr. Anders, it seems you have stumbled upon my little secret. There is no point in waiting for security. I think you are about to have an accident. Okay, no, 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 no! Coco, forever? Australians, Canadians, Europeans, and all of you ands, I'm calling on all of y'all to help us make the world great again by visiting the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com where you can get yourself a coffee mug like this with a little cute cartoon character that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could also get yourself a coffee mug like this with a color computer 3 that says, I'm a cocoa nut. You could get yourself a, a deluxe 
travel mug like this with the Coco Talk logo on it. You might even be able to get yourself a DVD like this with over two hours of gameplay. Goodness, it is time for us to rise up and make the world great again by enjoying some quality retro merchandise and Coco nostalgia. So please visit 8bit256.com and let's make the world great for the color computer. Thank you very much. Coco Talk is brought to you in part by Placeblex Dietary Supplement. Placeblex, we think it works, so will you. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. This year, I needed to give a real family pleaser. Honey, please help me with this budget. How about a new game, Dad? Please. And I found it. Radio Shack's Color Computer 2. On sale for just $99.95. It entertains, educates, manages. It's expandable and affordable. Now that really pleases me. The Color Computer 2. Sale price for Christmas. Only at Radio Shack. We now return you to Coco Talk. All right. Well, we are back, everybody. We are back with hey, Coco Talk. I, I have something. Uh-oh. Ron has something. Is there a cure for it? I have, I have a, like an overview of what we just went through. An overview. Yeah. And what we have here is uh, uh, the X, Y, and U registers here. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm. Uh, this is my pointer, okay. And um, I'm going to do. I'm going to use a direct mode, and I'm going to grab a cookie, and I'm going to take it from an effective address, and I'm going to push. And then it you're going to load it immediately into your mouth. It, it's off the stack, okay. And uh, I'm going to jump to uh, index my decrement. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Steve York can now retire. You've basically summarized everything in, in just the Oreo cookie analogy. And it's Oreo, it's cocoa. <laughs> All I can say is when you're done with that analogy, the code's going to look like cookies and cream. <laughs> this code's a little crummy. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. I was not going to go. Oh, so a Curtis screensaver. Yeah, uh, there you go. I took notes. <laughs> Ron took notes. That notes are a shopping list. No. On, on the presentation or on the cookies? What did you take notes on? On the presentation. Okay. Um, long branching, never. Yeah. <laughs> now, I was scanning through the comments and like that. And somebody said, gee, when would incrementing by one be useful when you're trying to write two bytes or something like that? And it's not. And actually, when they wrote, made the 68,000, you can't do that. The auto incrementing, auto decrementing is automatic. If you're referring to something that's eight, you know, a byte, eight bits, it increments by one. If you're referring to something that's 16 bits, or two bytes, it's uh, referred to as a uh, auto decrement by two. In other words, the instructions smart enough to know should it do it once or should it do it twice. In the case of the 6809, not quite so much. I will mention I have seen it used as a trick uh, if you need to overwrite a byte. 
Um, in some special cases, there's about one or two cases in, in base code and there's one or two cases in one other program I was working on. Like it's very rarely used, but there is a couple of times where I've actually seen it used effectively, but it's, it's, it's rare. Yeah. It's just, it's something as you as a programmer have to keep track of. So you want to use either two pluses or two minuses when you're talking to 16 bits or two bytes of data. And if you're just talking to one byte, you single use a single plus or a single minus. One bite. Mm-hmm. One bite of a cookie. There you go. <laughs> right. One bite. That's and right. so um, Al and Hartman. bits that fall are called bits. Yeah. Yeah. Al Hartman said if you were doing a uh, 16 bit, it would be a double stuff Oreo. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, how does the milk dunking the cookies, how does that, how does that fall into assembly? Well, that's an indirect mode in that exactly. case. Exactly. <laughs> because it doesn't. The cookie in the milk before it hits your mouth. It doesn't yeah. directly go into your mouth. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does not go well. Yeah, no, life is like a bag of cookies. Yeah, that's the this new Forrest Gump quote. Assembly is like a bag of cookies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, know I, I, I do get. know. I do know that this lesson was definitely a little bit more technical than once in the past. But once again, this is just, and you know, an offset of the processor. It's just the way the processor is designed. It was a fairly complex, and we'll better explain it when we get into the coding yeah it's also a longer lesson but but there's so many index modes on the 6809 if you split it you kind of forget what you learned last week and it it was better i think to group it all together even though it was a longer lesson than normal supposedly there's like 1400 uh different variations of instructions on the 6809 and i would say that a good 80 percent of those is because of the different styles and flavors of the index addressing yeah, and which registers you're using and whether they're indirect or non-indirect, and et cetera. Exactly. So if you take a look in the Motorola programming manual or in Leventhal's book or any of the 609 books, you'll see they usually have a table of just covering all the index modes and all the different permutations it has. And then when you add the in- index addressing, it almost doubles it. So it's just, you know, for an 8-bit processor, having that many different instructions was very unusual. I mean, the 6502 had less than 256 instructions. So, yeah, it's, there, it, there you have it. it it's very but the 6809 is not the king of the heap, though. The 6309 is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about that in these. <laughs> that's, know, that's the second second batch. That's of the next day. Yeah. Well, see, if we had included all the 60. 309 instructions, Stevie would have a long time ago went boom. <laughs> Plus, we want to start with the CPU that everybody has. I mean, not everybody has a 6309, so that'll be like a, a separate set of lessons. It's just like Barry was mentioning about using OS 9 assembly. There's some things you do a little bit differently because of the way OS 9 works, which I would like to do a series on later on myself uh, to help people with that. But it's we want to concentrate on the core that everybody has. Everybody has a 6709 in a Cocoa or emulated one. Uh, not everybody has OS 9, not everybody has a 6309. Yeah, most people, when they want to write a, a program or game, they want it to work on the most computers and like that. That's the reason why, you know, some of the stuff that I wrote in the past, it, it works on all three Cocos. Uh, of course, Arcanite was unusual because not only did it work on all three Cocos, it understood the difference and actually graphically did two different versions. So we will not get into that for a while. 
in the Very last. impressive program, by the way. I thoroughly enjoy playing Arkanoid from time to time. It's one of my daughter's favorite games, too. I have to admit, it was one of my more favorite ones to work on. That and Rampage. Hey, Al Hartman's asking, is the Hydrox cookie the 6309 instructions if Oreo is the 6809? <laughs> and uh, Chad Cunningham says, you look a little bit like Jeff Bridges, Rondelvo. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. A Hydrox cookie is more like the 6803. 6803. Not quite as good. <laughs> Not pretty. <laughs> Which one are the Chips Ahoys? <laughs> Which came first? All anyway, right. I'm going to have to get out of here pretty quick. So I'm just wondering if there's okay. any questions from chat or from the panel or anything else that you know I might help answer along with Steve. El Diva Boyle wants to know. Yes, questions? please bow down before me and ask any yes. questions before. Yes. Do you have questions a or comments? Do you have a ring to kiss? <laughs> what? Ring. You know, I was going to comment on the uh, on the code. Diff basically, the code difference for OS nine is pretty much you need to write position-independent code and reference the data area off of the U register where your data is stored because your program and your data area can move around in memory. So in order to find where your program is or not, or actually not find where it is, but you just don't care where it is, you reference, you write it, your, your code as position-independent code, you use long branch instead of jump, et cetera. And for finding your data, usually reference your data loads off of the U stack as an offset to find where your data is stored. Well, I just like to know where my cookie is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, towards the end of the assembly language lessons, I'll be working with Curtis and we'll actually have a segment on how to write for OS 9. Okay. Yeah. And eventually I'll do an entire series on it too. So. Yeah. But um, when you guys uh, make a program or whatever, are you going to have that available to download? Yes, that will be available to download. Uh, Curtis, you're going to be able to kind of watch the show while you're traveling for a little bit, right? Uh, not watch. I'll be able to hear it. Or hear it, at least. Well, um, I see that David Ladd's with us. We'll work with him so we can definitely take Stevie uh, uh, up a few notches on DEF CON. Okay. Just throwing a whole bunch of acronyms. Um, yep. Yep. I just didn't want you to miss out. Okay. <laughs> Okay. With that, I will say goodbye because it doesn't sound like there's any okay. further questions that I, I might be able to help with. So I'll listen to you guys on the road until I run out of cell phone service and catch the okay. show on video replay later. All right. All right. We do we do have a question from oh. uh, Salvador Garcia of the Glenside Color Computer Club, and it is an emulator question that he wants to pose to the panel and I guess to the other people watching too. So Salvador, if you want to go ahead and um, see you, Curtis, and, and drop in your question. Take oh, care, Curtis. Okay, uh, so okay. Salvador, go ahead and drop us your emulator question because I, I know he had posted it before and, and I forgot what it was. <laughs> uh, while we're waiting on Salvador's question, uh, anybody else wanted to chime in on uh, just any follow-up stuff about the segment we discovered? Going Steve once. gave a lot of information. Yes, he did, David. Excellent. All right. Well, we're waiting on Salvador. How about we do real quick, since we didn't start off with our panel introduction, we've got a few more members of the panel. Here comes Salvador coming through. Um, we are going to go ahead and just say real quick. So Curtis is here. Curtis, you got to go. But uh, anything you want to let us know before you go, Curtis? Uh, no, the only thing I'll say is that work is finally actually really slowing down. So I'm hoping by next weekend I should be back on working on ease of use and some other projects. And, uh, Yay. Excellent. Still, the, that that's the 
first first thing and um i'm not sure exactly what order i'll do stuff in this this next week here if i don't work too much for work work i probably will take a break from computers in general because i've been using them way too much lately mm -hmm. um but by next weekend i'm hoping to be back in cocoa projects excellent Okay. What are you doing on ease of use to fix the uh, boot track generation issues? Talk to Bill Noble on that one. He's actually working on the uh, the boot file stuff. I looked at it a little bit. I was trying to tried a few patches for OS nine gen and stuff. Didn't work out. I'm still trying to to fix it. I figured some other. I, I thought Bill was was working on it as well. Well, he is. He is. He's actively working on it. He's actually giving me some uh, hints of what he's been doing there. He's actually making it kind of GUI oriented too. To make it easier to use but yeah. bill would be the one to talk to on that because i haven't i've been too busy with work to really look at what he's been doing yeah the biggest thing is basically that the boot track generation stuff doesn't understand how to properly offset the boot track for anything other than a single-sided floppy well it does it on a double-sided floppy that's less than uh than 80 tracks too but it really was designed for floppy stuff and when you try to generate a boot track on like an sdc hard drive image or a real hard drive, it, it sort of doesn't work too well. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm off. Talk All right, to you Curtis. Later. Be good. Thanks, Curtis. Be good. Yeah. Um, uh, we're still waiting on Salvador's question. So, Mark D. Overholzer, what's been going on with you this week? Anything you want to update us on? Mm, well, nothing I've been working on Coca-related or old classic computer-related. Okay. Stuff. Oh, by the way, you were in Retro Challenge. Did you finish your challenge, or how did your, how did your piece uh, work out? No, I got started, but I, I got bogged down in getting the server working right. So I'm still working on it. I hope to have that the foundation done by next challenge. And I'll actually do a game. Okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right. Uh, well, now Salvador's question has come in, and I haven't actually read the latest newsletter because somewhere in that newsletter also tells you how you can vote on the upcoming um, positions for the Glenside, like who do you want to vote for for president, things like that. But So here's Salvador's question. So it says, for anyone that has seen the latest Glenside Color Computer Club newsletter, I did a piece on Jeff Vazasaur's emulators. The Coco 2 emulator was okay, but the Coco 3 emulator was sluggish, slow, and unresponsive. I'd like to know if anyone has had the same experience or knows why it would be. I ran the, Je uh, the Jeff Vazasaur emulators under DOSBox. So... Anybody have any experience with those? I know, David, you've used them in the past, haven't you? Um, I was playing with the installation of um, Jeff Vavasur's uh, Coco 3 emulator, and I was using it in VirtualBox because of the fact that you have to do all kinds of funky stuff to get the full 512K working in DOSBox. Mm. So... Um, that would be my recommendation is just try VirtualBox, install either FreeDOS or MS-DOS 6.22, and then install Jeff's emulator and see how it works on your system. Yeah, I got it. I got it working in DOSBox with a full 512, but it was a pain in the butt, I have to say. It, it, it requires some special, uh, special types, specific types of DOS memory. Um, that is not just EMM or um, EMS or, or HIMEM. It requires very specific versions of it, and it, it did not play well with DOSBox. It, it, it never worked well back in the day. I actually paid for the Coco 3 version when it was for sale 
and between the coco compared to the coco 2 version the coco 3 version was was not very usable i found it usable but yeah i actually paid for it too i found it usable i probably maybe i had a faster machine but um it did have well the biggest issue was the uh the 512 memory that actually worked better on a physical dos machine than it does under a dos simulation these days yeah now, this is not VCC, right? No, no. This is Jeff Vazas. Jeff Vazasor wrote some of the earliest emulators for the okay. Coco that actually ran under DOS before yeah. yep. MAME and VCC were out. So these are some really legacy emulators. And it's sounding like right now he's running an emulator to run the emulator. So that's like kind of like the double-layer gimme here. Um I don't That's, know why anyone would bother. It's yeah. Well, yeah, and and again, <laughs> well, with, without trying to insult you, Salvador, that's a great question. My my question would be why. <laughs> but uh, the, if you're but again, we're, what we're doing, we're doing vintage, we're doing retro things. This is the vintage retro emulator for the Coco. This is one of the first Coco emulators. So if you want to preserve the history of of Cocos, this is one of those chapters. It was an old DOS based Coco emulator. Um, so, um, but yeah, I mean, I would question other, other than preserving it and having it still work, I, I can't see any practical benefit to doing it myself. When we have XROAR, which is a modern GUI thing, um, we've got MAME right now, if somebody's asking if, so if you want to ask the question, which we've seen this question on Facebook, what's the best way to emulate a color computer three, there is really only one answer. And that answer is MAME other than real hardware. The best way to emulate a color computer three right now is MAME because VCC it has lots of known issues with gimmies and with the 6809 and 6309. So there are things that VCC will do that real hardware won't do. There are things that real hardware won't do that VCC can't do. And I'm not trying to poo-poo on the project. I'm just stating some facts, right? So VCC is fairly user-friendly. It's nice. It's easy to use. But for hardware-based emulation, it's not the best. So, and for better or worse right now, MAME is the only close to reliable solution for, for Coco 3 emulation. Now, I don't, I, I don't know. I find VCC to be, don't get me wrong. I like MAME. As you know, I work on uh, some of the code for MAME development from time to time. VCC, I find to be probably well over, you know, 90 some odd percent accurate. Um, it certainly is usable but it does have differences. If you're trying to do some of the stuff like I try to do, which is compare and, and validate code to see how it's actually gonna work on real hardware, the way to go is main. If you just wanna run uh, software and games, well, VCC will probably do it most of the time. Yeah, but when we were talking about doing development and like something like what Simon Jonasson would be doing where he's pushing the CPU and he's pushing the gimme and he's pushing uh, yeah, scan want, lines and things like that, VCC yeah, is not the best. Yeah, yeah, if you want accuracy to see how the thing is going to actually be run on real hardware, you want to be using MAME. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, or, if you just want to run a game program and play a game, VCC will certainly do that for you. Or if you're just beginning doing a little bit of uh, programming and assembly, VCC uh, is fine. Yeah. I, I agree, and, and especially if you're just pl playing around with the basic. Yeah, VCC is fine for just doing like beginning code and you know and, and basic programming and play around with the computer and play some games. But if you're serious and you want to make sure that your program will run on the real hardware, 
but you're testing it on emulation. The only emulator that is really super accurate is the MAME emulator. Even right. if it's the user interface is more of a pain in the butt, I admit, but accuracy is definitely up there. The one well, thing I will, will say about MAME, though, is don't be an early adopter. When a new version comes out, wait a while and let the other people see if there are problems. So if you've got a good, stable version that's working well for you on MAME, don't be in a rush to update because Maine doesn't just support the cocoa. It supports a lot of different uh, right. emulations out there. I, I agree. I can't, I've lost count of the number of times that I've downloaded a new copy of Maine and uh, started it up and found that they broke something that was previously working. Exactly. Yeah. And of course, David is a good canary in the mole mine uh, in the mine because he goes through and does try out the new builds and creates them himself and and like that and he's always reporting about this being broken or that being broken there's other people in the coco community the same way they're involved in the project so i would say wait a minimum of a month before updating to a new version but if your version's working for you i say don't update until absolutely necessary yeah rick is actually one of the more recent updates somebody posted on facebook the Coco 3 now shows you two screens side by side. It shows you the RGB and, compos and composite at the same Where time. There is a, an option to turn yeah, that off. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm working on having that. Uh, uh, I'm working with a few people on the development to have that the default to have the default to be one of the two screens and then an option to turn it on if you want it on. Right. So, MAME on the Coco Pie has uh, many different flavors. There's a. Yeah, uh, you can choose what version. You can set your yeah, default you can version do it on there. 6309 with. Uh, two mega ram yeah they, they all support that whether it be no. uh, raspberry pi or the other systems well what's but nice what about pi is there's a menu yeah so. but the, but the main thing here is you've got a program that's written for a lot of different computers to emulate a lot of different things and it's a big project there are some mm -hmm. very smart people working on it they're working very hard but an unforeseen problem can come up in this type of environment. So don't be a rush to update. Make yeah, sure other right. people find that it's working well before you download that version. Nobody so wants to be that canary in the mine. Yeah, somebody will make an update for like NES emulation and it'll end up breaking something on the Cocoa or something like that. So yeah, exactly. you, if you do update, you decide you want some features the new version has, I strongly suggest that you keep the current version that you have off to one side while you try out the new one so that if it doesn't work correctly, you can fall back to the, what you had that worked. Okay, let's get back to um, to his, his original question now, Salvador Garcia. And I did, when, I did ask, when I did ask the question why, I said, why would you want to run the, 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 the Jeff Vazasaur Coco 3? He's basically saying for, for classic historical purposes right but we have noted that uh, that what that the Je jeff vazasaur coco 3 emulator is not the best of coco 3 emulators but he wants to he wants to um do it for just historical preservation reasons so um i believe a few people have given you some examples so one one example was to use um virtual box instead of dos box Right, and VirtualBox is a free emulation system, kind of like VMware, but it was taken over by Sun and now Oracle. Right, so you can get VirtualBox and and build uh, 
and build an MS-DOS-based machine there. And then the other answer was that even in DOSBox, um, there are some very specific things you need to do in memory. And can anybody tell him specifically if he wanted to use DOSBox, some things to look for in either the hardware setup of the machine or some of the DOSBox you know, config settings you might have to look at? I am trying to locate my notes on this as we were sitting here talking. I right, did well, um, it involves loading, finding and loading, I think, if I remember correctly, a copy of emm3d6.exe into DOSBox. Oh, the actual emulator part that real DOS used. Yeah, because although DOSBox has an EMM, uh, EMS memory emulation, mm -hmm. it is a different version of it than other than what the Coco 3 stuff is expecting to see. So it doesn't pick it up. So almost like you have to do a config sys inside that DOSBox machine to load that memory manager. Okay. Hey, Bruce Moore has just joined us. Hello, Bruce. Okay. Well, hopefully we'll get some more details on there. Um, but it sounds like, um, Salvador, that a few people have done it and they have been able to make it to work. So if you want to preserve that, it seems like you can. Um, one, one way Steve. I do think, I'm sorry, who just, who just spoke? Me. Hey, David. Um, is it okay for me to interject some more information on Jeff Eversor's emulator? Please do. Um, now, I actually still use some of the components of Jeff Favasur's emulator, as I still have what would now probably be considered a retro or, you know, an old um, 486 PC that I've got both a high-density 3.5 and high-density 5.25 in that all it has is MS-DOS 6.22, and I use the disk utilities that came with Jeff's emulator to read real floppies into disk images, and then I copy them over the network. So that way I can uh, make, make disk images rather easily. So let me see if I followed you. You're talking about you have a physical PC... Yep. 486 era PC with a f floppy drive. You're putting a real Cocoa disk in that floppy drive. Yep. And then the Jeff Vazasaur has got some command line, similar to like what Paul Fiscarelli has shown us with the, the d disk extender color base. It's got the disk any command to make a disk image. Mm -hmm. There's a command line tool in that emulator that would read in a real Cocoa floppy and create a um, JVC disk image of that. Yep. Okay, I followed you. I actually followed something David Ladd said, everybody. So, um, <laughs> so that is actually acronyms. not enough acronyms. Yes. Um, so that makes sense, and that that becomes a that's that's what they call a tweener machine, right? Where it's a, it's something you use to migrate files between different systems and platforms and formats and stuff. So, um, yeah, um, I actually used to use on Windows XP. VCC and a uh, um, special driver that would allow VCC to get direct access to the floppy controller on the PC and then you could um, directly read floppies from within VCC. Okay. And that used to be how I used to back up um, floppies because it was easier that way than it was to use uh, you know, the 486, but now right. with Windows 10 and 
work today's machines don't come with floppy controllers it's <laughs> you're yeah. pretty much stuck keeping an older machine around just for transferring stuff gotcha all right so that's one good reason to keep the jeff vazasaur emulator around is for a different method of copying a cocoa floppy to a floppy disk image not requiring the actual cocoa or cocoa drive did uh, you uh Steve, did you see when I um, emulated the Coco 2 on my Tandy 1000? Yes, and it was running kind of slowly. But it worked. Yeah, yeah. Now, that's actually kind of neat because now you're running a Tandy machine to emulate another Tandy machine, right? So Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Very cool. Well, hopefully we've given Salvador some information to work with. I have with. the answer to his question. About uh, Barry's got more information. Okay, Barry, lay it on us. What I had to do was I had to create an actual floppy disk image for drive A on DOSBox. And then instead of booting with a normal DOSBox uh, boot method, you have to mount the floppy image on drive A which actually has uh, DOS 5, and boot off of, tell inside DOSBox, you say boot space minus L space A, and it actually boots the A drive and boots into a real copy of DOS, and then loads a real EMM 386, etc. Oh, wow. Now, is it possible you could make a copy of that boot disk image and get it to Salvador to I save could... him some... I could conceivably put it somewhere where he can get to it. Uh, I think sure. I, it's probably a small. It's probably a small enough file that you could even drag it into a Facebook post, and it's not yeah, going to be. It's not going to raise any antivirus flags. I'm sure. Oh my God! It's the DOS virus. Run. Yes. <laughs> so um, I'm not sure which. I guess where which. Well, I guess ask him where I can put it. That he can well, find just it. you're on Facebook. Look for look under the Glenside Color Computer Facebook group, or look for Salvador and the Coco group. You'll find him. And the Glenside see. Color Computer. I don't know if I'm a member. Of All that. right. Well, just put it in the Coco group. You're in there. Salvador, the put. Group? Yeah, put Salvador, in post page. in the Coco group. I, yeah. I can do that. Okay. Yeah. So that is that's your best case scenario, Salvador. At that point, DOSBox is only emulating the hardware and the actual real MS DOS operating system boots, and then theoretically it should all work as long as the hardware emulation's good enough. You know, um, it, it it does work. I've used it on my Mac that way, and it, it ran. Yeah, yeah. This almost became a core dump. This almost became a core dump segment. Matter of fact, just for craps and giggles, um, <laughs> Do it. we're going to go ahead and run the core dump uh, thing here because I've done an update to the core dump, which I think Nick will like here. All right, check this out, everybody. All right. There we go. The core dump video now has the flush sound built into it. So if my soundboard takes a dump, we won't miss the flushing sounds. <laughs> That's good. I approve. <laughs> well, it's good. It's not two flushes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so we'll get that to you, Salvador. We'll figure that out. Salvador and Barry, you guys figure out a way to link up and transfer files. I believe in this 21st century, there are, there are ways to do that. All I'm right. Now on the Coco Facebook group. There you go. All and right. So file post there shortly. 
we're going to continue our round robin here now as we do uh, How's Everybody Been This Week, since we didn't do that at the top of the show. So, Mark Overholzer, we started with you, and you said that you're you're nothing new this week, and you didn't finish Retro okay. Challenge, and that's okay. We still like you, despite the fact you have an apple in the background. We still like you. All right. Now, Wait. what about... Yeah, Ron, go ahead. Is he, is he emulating an apple on an apple with a cocoa emulated with a DOS box? Yeah. Yeah, it's actually a Coco running an emulator. It's a Coco running an Apple emulator. And then, uh, yeah, there you go. Inception there. Very funny. Okay. Jason, the Coco Man record. I know you, at least one thing happened to you this week that you may or may not want to share with us. One thing happened. Uh, well, hmm. it did. And uh, I will share it. I, uh, I made a road trip, and I saved some Coco stuff from the dumpster. And... Uh, I picked up a few things. I, I haven't had a chance to go through all of them, but uh, hey, but what did you a, go through first? Well, well, I have I have the amazing Coco One, Woo! Nice. with nice. with no screws in it. No screws. Who needs screws? Yeah, I mean it's every, a convertible. Every, <laughs> there's no screws. There's no. There's nothing holding in the motherboard. It's just kind of there. And it. And oh it, wow! When you say it, no it, screws, literally no screws. No screws, no <laughs> screws. Yeah. No that, screws whatsoever. Coco. That what's, Coco what's One has a screw. I guess somebody said "screw you" too many times. <laughs> <laughs> what board's uh, in it? You know, the screws uh, are the easiest thing to replace. Well, it, it doesn't work anyway. I, I did power it up. It, it, I just get a black screen. First, what board it has in it? I I have no idea. It's green. <laughs> it's got one of those green ones. Okay, got one of those green boards. Uh, That's why the background color is green too. It gets that uh, from the board. You know, I did not know that. That's, that's, an, <laughs> that's an interesting fact. I have a bunch of stuff I haven't even gone through. There's a heavily modified Coco 2, a heavily modified Coco 3 with the Coco 3 keyboard on a ribbon cable mounted to a piece of wood. I'll, I'll probably be taking some pictures of that stuff at some point and putting them up on Facebook. Um, one of the cool things that was in the box of stuff, there's a bunch of software, including... A copy of let's see if I can get the glare off it. Ganabuana, still still sealed. Wow, it's sealed. It's even got the. It's even got. The, still has the price tag on it. Two ninety five. So that's been $2. reduced. Two dollars and ninety five cents. I mean, no no expenses been spared. Wow. So it's uh it's in the shrink wrap here, and where is? So that's still got that new game smell. If you're ever to crack it open. Uh, uh, trust me, after this number of years, it's not a new smell. <laughs> you can tell by just how much it's yellowed. Uh, it has it has yellowed, yes. Um it it has has radio a, shack factory air in it. Actually the the actual um comic book hasn't yellowed. What it is is the cellophane they use to show the comic book. Ah, okay. That's yellowed. Could you retro bright that? <laughs> <laughs> Retro bright your uh, ceram wrap, huh? Trust yeah, me, it's a lot easier to peel off the cellophane and put a new one on, especially considering the plastic is also a, I mean, not plastic, the glue that held the plastic in has also aged and probably will flake right off. Mm. As I said, the old packaging just doesn't hold up. I also got an MC10, and it's around here somewhere. I don't know where the heck it oh, went. Is that what? the limited the edition? Limited. Yeah, it's over the by the door. Get over by the door. I mean, is that the limited edition signed by Steve Bjork, uh, MC10? <laughs> oh, you got your sign? <laughs> oh, man. 
I have a feeling if it's signed by Steve, there's no um, certificate of authenticity. <laughs> also, you got that one right. on the internet. It said, thank you for killing the deluxe color computer, Steve Bjork. <laughs> and it was just here. I just added a minute ago. I don't know where it went. It's yeah, we saw, I saw the, the video you posted on the MC10 group where you wrote a program that actually made Jim Gary retire. So, oh, by the way, folks, by the way, folks, maybe I shouldn't be so critical of the MC10. Uh oh. I mean, it got it. It ended the life of the deluxe computer before it could start, it get started. It was basically aborted. And if the coke, if that deluxe color computer actually went in production and hanged around, it could have delayed the Coco Three to the point that we never got it. What? Yeah. That almost sounds like an alternate version of reality. Why did Tandy do that question? Mm. More importantly, I think uh, Bruce can come up with a new story or two based on that. Right? Yeah. Conspiracy theories reign true. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, could, it could have, in, in looking at time, could have affected the existence of the Coco 3. Because the Coco 3 was definitely a product of its time as far as technology that was available, as far as what Tandy was willing to spend and like that. So it couldn't, Coco 3 could not have come earlier, but if something could delay the Coco 3, the color computer line would have been dead already. Hey, did mm. you guys see online where um, they were showing uh, the packages of uh, keyboards that were sold that were black instead of gray uh, Coco 3 keyboards like, and they yeah, said we've talked about were, before. Those were the deluxe yeah. color computers. Uh, so, keyboard sold for five dollars in the Radio Shack. Yeah, so that's actually a remnant leftover. Yeah, yeah. I've got a few of them. I cool. I think I even got one still in the baggie. That's kind of cool. How much you want for it? <laughs> I think I went through and bought about twenty of them when they were in the stores. Awesome. All right, so you got some. You so you made a road trip, uh, Jason, and you got some cocos. You got an MC10. Some software, some books. Yeah, I even got yeah. this uh, this very, uh, very early '80s looking assembly language book for uh, the TRS TRS eighty model something. Model yeah. one. So yeah, got some goodies. It was about a six hour. It was it was like over a six hour round trip, but it it was worth it. And uh, oh yeah, more. To yeah, follow. and this was this was a message that was posted in the Glenside uh, Facebook group. Did Tony Tony Pedraza originally mention this, saying that there's a Coco user who's going to throw stuff away if somebody doesn't come save it? Yeah, that's that's what it was. And uh, yeah. I actually ended up spending about an hour chatting with him uh, when I was picking up the items, and he had uh, talked did about he, quite a few things. And did uh, he almost change his mind? You know what? I had I had to wonder at one point. It's like I better get out of here before he changes his mind. Uh, uh, he had a setup where uh, he was programming EEPROMs, I guess, with a Coco three, with a Coco two in tandem. Somehow, I haven't even looked at that yet. I mean, there's some EEPROM programming software on a cassette, and uh, yeah, a lot, lot of modifications. It's uh, going to be interesting. There's even some kind of RCA connector on the bottom. I, I got a uh, monochrome. Uh, a monochrome monitor also, and I guess he was using that for 80-column tech. So this, hmm. it's a, a lot of modifications, a lot of things to go through and just figure out what was actually done and see what, what still works. What what brand's the monochrome monitor? I believe it's a Magnavox. Oh. 
And uh, he even said the Coco 2 has a modified, it has a different ROM in it because it's it's looking for something from the Coco 3 to burn the EEPROM. So I, ah. it's, I think so there's some manuals to look at here, but it's, okay. Interesting. I think, it, I think in these days it would be something impractical to do, but it's some, it's neat that you could do it with a Coco. But I mean, at this point I could go get a USB EEPROM programmer on eBay or something. But it's, yeah. Interesting. Still, still really interesting that I, I didn't even know you could do that with a Coco. Take pictures. Oh, there'll yeah. be plenty of pictures, and yeah, you know, there. Ha I think there's a there's a Facebook group for pictures of your color computer, isn't there? There is. There is. Is. <laughs> Show us your tea. <laughs> Show us your tandies. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if you know anything about that Facebook group, group, Ron. I've heard of it. No, you've heard of it. Okay, I've heard of it. <laughs> um, Ron is pretty antisocial. You won't catch him on Facebook too often. Not not much. <laughs> I don't post all day in the. In it's the almost drive. like he doesn't have a job. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> did you see the artwork I did? Yeah. yeah, yeah, hamburgers and all kinds of stuff. You're making yeah. me hungry. Yeah. Well, I have now posted onto the TRCD Color Computer Group a boot floppy for DOSBox, which will allow Jeff Vavasour's Color Computer Emulator to load on DOSBox and give you 512K of, of memory. There you go. There you have it. Thank you, Barry Nelson. Thank you, Barry. All right. So continuing the How Was Your Week segment. Thank you. Anything else, Jason? Uh, I just noticed this, this, this uh, copy of Res Rescue and Fractalis is also sealed. But ah. <laughs> I, I like I said I haven't even had time to go through it yet. I've been so busy this week, so it's it's uh, I'm I'm still looking at it. I got a Coco Three service manual, I mean, great, great. real one. I mean, uh, it is. There's so much stuff I don't even know all what I have yet. But how are you going to play that Rescue on Fractalis game if it's sealed? Or patch it? Yeah, we'll have to get the Curtis Boyle version, right? So there you go. There you go. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. Well. Who else wants to tell us how their week's been as far as anything new and exciting that you've done this week as far as a project update or anything else? Anybody got something for us? Um, except that uh, there'll be soon my next blog entry. I've done a bit more work on Gunstar, uh, mainly about the, the graphics engine. So I'm trying to write my blog to explain what the hell it is I've done. So yeah, it's a little bit difficult to make it easy to understand, but it should be up this week sometime excellent so a new blog coming soon from nick marionettes more bullshit <laughs> <laughs> i got a, i got a question since we have some very famous game developers on here i can't remember who is it that wrote the shanghai game for for a rock a tandy color computer in the car if computer? only we knew if only That's that person right. was on the call eve <laughs> thank you sir. So kind. Uh, i believe it was simon jonathan yeah simon so kind, yeah. yeah, really. No, I, I think wasn't it uh, either Steve Jork or no, it wasn't me. Well, it was a much me. more infamous programmer. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, he's he's on the screens here somewhere. He's got headphones on and he's got a beard, so that narrows it down to. Guy, guy, you have to guess. He's he he's above a Canadian. You do realize that Shanghai actually affected the output of Tandy Corporation? What? Yeah. In a good yeah. way? 
Yeah, it, 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 it negatively affected the output. What? To the point that if anybody had oh. Tandy on their PC or on their Coco had Shanghai Plane and they were not involved in the direct production or testing of the game, would be fired. Whoa. <laughs> oh, because it was it was such a such a time killer that people were losing productivity because of playing the game? People were playing hours a day. Yeah. Yeah. Solitaire before solitaire. Yeah, it was it was worse than solitaire. Is that like an early Sudoku? There, there was a patch for that that I remember seeing that I am trying to get to to see if I can that allowed it to run under OS nine, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's it's yes. on the ease of use distribution. And and by the way, the answer to your question is Rick Adams. He's he's in the right. call. He's on the top yeah. of the screen. Ah, okay. So so the ease of use distribution has that patch available in it. Yes, it also has alternate tile sets and all kinds of other other stuff from the menu. Mm -hmm. Ah, I, I'd like to get. Yeah, I'd like to know where I could just get that patch to put it on my uh, my OS nine distribution. Uh, Bill uh, Noble did that, I think. Bill Noble and a few people worked on that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I would say reach out to either Bill or Curtis, or you know, I'm sure other people have it too. Curtis yeah. was, I think Curtis may have been involved, but definitely Bill Noble was involved. Okay, because I've, I've been asking around for it, and I haven't been able to find a, a copy of it yet. I actually mm -hmm. have the cartridge, but I can't find the uh, the patch or the OS 9 version of it anywhere. Right. I was actually kind of disappointed to learn that uh, Bill Noble had to patch it for uh, uh, to make it more position-independent for OS 9. I thought that the whole thing was positioned independent to begin with, but apparently there was something I missed. So a little disappointment for me there. I was, it was supposed to be easy. And I think it was from the time he spoke Mostly. about it. Yeah. yeah. There so actually one, is a trick in OS 9 level two. Oftentimes you can run position dependent code because of a quirk in OS 9 level two and the way that usually it normally allocates the, uh, the memory space. Mm -hmm. So if you have your program allocate a large amount of memory, it will allocate almost all of the 64K, and then it pretty much, you know what address it's going to load into. By the way, we want to be careful about some of this technical discussion here, because we don't, you know, I was doing very careful during my assembly language lesson not to move Stevie up on the yeah, that's fine. but he's just, on a trigger level. We can, hey, David, go for it. I just want to know who, who is breathing into the microphone right now. So whoever you are, just stop breathing. <laughs> it's creepy. Stop it. Yes. <laughs> it's not me. I have my microphone muted when I'm not speaking. Okay, Bruce, uh, uh, Bruce, uh, I, and I'm sorry. Um, Bruce, you're saying you have a file you want me to show? Well, uh, yeah, I just dropped it into the chat. Have you got access to that? Uh, I'm looking. Is it the PDF file? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Let me see, and then let me see how it opens. Okay, and so you want me to go ahead and show this off? Yeah, yeah. It was just related to to Steve uh, Bjork's comments on the MC10 and what might have happened to the Coco 3. Okay. So here's the rainbow from September 1983. The rainbow, just for your color computer. Color Deluxe and Coco Cubed. Ooh. Ooh. So 
EOS. Coco 3 EOS. That looks... Wow, look at this. And it's just busting through the cover here, huh? Coco 3 EOS. 6809 slash 68,000 sprites and a sound chip. Um, so this is what we might have gotten, huh? We might have gotten a Coco Cubed. Is this is this uh, is this something that appears in um, in um, Coco Forever? It does, yes. The okay. It's an alternate timeline, yeah. In an alternate timeline, we might actually have a Color Deluxe or a Coco Cubed. Hmm. Yeah, the Coco Three, yeah. And uh, and the EOS. Wow. Notice the built-in hard drive, graphical user interface. You know. Uh, oh, so the slash DD and D0 and D1, is that the hard drive, sir? Oh, there's a floppy on the front. You can see it. Yeah, yeah. Notice it's from RSK Corporation. Yeah, that's what uh, Dick Adams is president of, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. you <laughs> RSK. All the right. only thing is it would have had a detachable keyboard because only back then real computers had detachable keyboards. Mm. Yeah, it's true. Well, the Amiga was kind of... Did later on Amigas have detachable keyboards too? The first one did. Uh, yeah. The okay. first one did. It was the 500 that was one unit. Mm. It was the answer for the schools because schools like computers that were all in one, like the Model 3, you know, it, you know, and, and like that. But um, no, just businesses, they like detachable keyboards. And of course, they found out later detachable keyboards. Uh, affected whether or not you're going to get your wrist messed up, you know, with oh, uh, like carpal tunnel or whatever. Exactly, carpal tunnel. Yeah. Yeah. Could you remember? I mean, not only in the early days did I kind of mess up my wrist, but I also messed up my my head because I was crunched over looking down at the monitor. The monitor wasn't up at eye level, so mm -hmm. the head's always bound down like this. And I basically could not move my head more than this mount, a few degrees left and right. I couldn't turn it all the way over. Yeah, the concept of ergonomics had not been invented yet. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I see you, like me, wear, also wear glasses. Mm -hmm. That's one of what the old CRT monitors had uh, X-rays and gamma rays coming right off the front of the screen. And they found that that has... Uh, a bad effect on your the lens of your eyes so and that might have been what made me go blind at a young age so well, that's that's my i'm blaming it, it on the screens and that not pornography in, so. in the case of me wearing reading glasses that's simply just getting older and having diabetes oh, all right all right well we're going on two hours now so i think we should take another moment for a commercial break here and we're going to pause for uh, the cause here and hear from our corporate sponsors and then we'll play more catch up and we got some news to cover as well as seeing what's new in tandy assembly what's developing there so uh hold on to whatever you got to hold on to and we'll be back here in just a few minutes folks hi i'm bruce moore and this is Jacob Morch, gotcha. And we are the Forest of Doom guys, and the Coco Forever guys, and we are at Coco Fest, and we love Stevie Strobe.
Switcheroo. Use your Coco with a modern display. Go from RGB to composite with just the flip of a switch. Coco3SCARTCABLE.COM What's going on everybody? The original gamer Stevie Stroh here and I want to talk to you about Amacoconut.com. If you love the color computer like I love the color computer, then you gotta visit Amacoconut.com, your one-stop shop for all of your Tandy color computer links needs. There you'll find links to blogs and podcasts and project sites and emulators and downloads and groups and communities. If you love the color computer, head on over to Amacoconut.com. That's I-M-A, Coconut.com. Tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Coco forever, people. Day, mates. This is Nick Marionettes, author of such color computer titles as Donut Disaster, Rupert Rhymes, and Rockstar Pilot. And I am here today to tell you about the world's most fabulous operating system, OS9. OS9 and its current incarnation, Nitrous 9, is the most advanced operating system ever created. And what makes it so good? Ease of use! I find OS 9 so incredibly intuitive that I haven't once cracked open the user manual, and yet I've been able to create such incredible games faster than the time it takes to sing Walsing Matilda. Using OS 9, I expect my next game, Funstar, will be done this weekend and distributed exclusively on ROM cartridge. OS 9 forever! Any resemblance to actual events, to persons living or dead, is purely coincidental. Some people have big plans after school. You know what Elliot's gonna do? Jeff, too. Elliot's at work on a book report using Scripsit on Radio Shack's Color Computer 3. It hooks up to his TV. And Jeff's at his Radio Shack Color Computer 3 playing the newest football game. But wait, what's Elliot doing playing new Super Pitfall? And Jeff's having a blast with a new math tutor. You never know what you might try with more than 100 programs for fun and learning. Radio Shack's Color Computer 3 comes with everything you see here. Other items each sold separately. Only at Radio Shack. We now return you to Coco Talk. Thank you, Speech Sound Pack. Thank you. You're too kind. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So we're back. And uh, Barry, were you saying something during the break or trying to? I, I, I thought that I caught the end, but then it started another commercial. But yeah, I was just going to say the ironic part of that uh, Nick Berenti spoof ad there is that OS 9 actually is ROMable and you can actually put stuff for OS 9 in a ROM. There you go. There you have it. And I think your parrot would agree with you on that one. So, um, excellent. Uh, Bruce Moore, anything new and exciting going on with you other than a nice little updated uh, profile picture there? Uh, I'm, uh, no, I just continue to expand my assembly language programming skills. And, uh, um, you know, I'm experimenting, working on a project and making some progress, getting a lot of help from the community. It's been uh, wonderful going onto the Discord and saying, hey, you know, what about this or what about that? And I was asking about code compression and a couple of people chimed in. And then uh, I think Karen, is that the... Uh, Karen, yep. Yeah. X-Roar guy, yep. Yeah, check out this this magazine article. It's got... <clears throat> sure enough, there was the code that I needed. I never would have found it otherwise. So this is pretty cool. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, and then Paul Fiscarelli, I, I'm almost done going through your environment setup. 
I'm about 80% there. I've got almost all the tools extracted into folders on my desktop. I haven't gotten to the to the batch file part of it yet, okay, but um, almost there. Any updates on your project, Mr. Paul? Hey, Steve. How's it going? Um, so, yeah. So, basically, I was uh, working this morning trying to get another episode posted for uh, finally writing uh, first assembly code for Long Branch Never. I uh, ran into an issue with my VM, and it started going and doing updates about two-thirds of the way through the episode. Nah. <laughs> but, <laughs> luckily, luckily, I was doing it in batches, so everything that I have worked on so far, I can uh, continue off of, and uh, I'll just probably have that posted this evening. Um, I've been working on updates to my floppy disk tools, uh, the utility that I've shown on the show before, um, and debugging that. It seems like every time I fix one bug, I discover two more. So mm. it's, that's a little slow going, but uh, my, my real goal behind that is getting that ready for Tandy assembly. So uh, when I get out there, I'll have something that I can share with folks and actually um, you know, have it in folks' hands so that they can play around with it and uh, start using it. That's an Me. awesome mug, by the way. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> you're referring to his face or are you referring to the uh, drinking oh, beverage? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, the coffee mug. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got that playing this pretty awesome uh, retro game um, called Forest of Doom. I highly recommend it. Uh-huh. Shameful plug right there, huh? So, uh, and, and uh, other than that, just getting ready for Tandy Assembly, trying to pull a few things together. Um, just, I have a table and everything. So, I just want to try to decorate that a little bit and uh, have something to show off. So, Nice, nice. Yeah, I um I started watching the video last week on Sunday and then but I had like real work stuff to do which ended up taking the whole day. This week has been kind of crazy. Um and then this morning I actually had to rebuild my broadcast setup that we're doing now for the show cuz I switched my Google Drive accounts and stuff. So I had to reassemble all of this. And then literally the last 20 minutes before the show, I'm going through your video. I got as far as getting Notepad++ installed. I got the language descriptor installed. I went through all your color tweaks and font tweaks. I got uh, the uh, LW Asms in there, the um, tool sheds in there. I got your batch file in there. I went as far as making the two folders for the Cocoa assembly and the Cocoa disks and you know, I'm fairly far along. The only thing I haven't figured out yet is now how to connect all the dots. But I'm about, like I say, I'm about 80% through the video. Um, so well, I'm hoping to have that up and running very shortly. So far, I've been able to follow it step by step. So it's been very followable, if that's great. a word. Well, the uh, the as far as putting it all the all together, the uh, assemdap bat file is mm -hmm. what's really going to bring everything together and make it gel. Um, right. And it's it's funny, Steve, because about a year or so ago, I forget the individual's name. I think last name possibly Searle. I, J I Jason Lee Searle. Yeah, okay. It sounds familiar. Yeah. Um, that's where I had first picked up the pieces on how to do it. And uh, he had a very basic uh, assem.bat file. And I took that and I just started really building off of it and making it more customized to take in all the various components and the tools and um, – the emulators and just kind of bring everything together. So it would be extremely easy for a beginner to just start yeah. using it. So that's where I left it. And hopefully once you get that piece in place, everything will click. And uh, if you left everything default, you should be pretty much up and running at that point. Right. Actually what I'm going to probably do once I see how the pieces connect, I'm probably going to modify it slightly because I, my development environment has lived in my Google drive. 
and um, and I want to move it to there. And so I'm just going to change the paths a little bit once I see how everything works. Yeah, I'm just, I'm right now I'm following your 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 course to get it set up. And once I see how it works, I'll just modify other paths to. Yep, to, absolutely. To, and uh, there's actually uh, a delineation line in the assem.bat file that says no need to edit below this line. All you need to really do is update your paths above that line. There's a, just a couple lines there. Yeah. And it, if you leave everything else default, it should just work. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. I got to drop off of here. But before All right, I go, Barry. I've got somebody else here that I'm going to have them say hello really quick. Leanne, say hello. Hi. That's uh, Leanne, my daughter. She's the one who wrote uh, some of the assembly code and uh, the menu program for the Coco Flash cartridge. Well, we need some, we need some updates to that, Barry. <laughs> yeah, I know. We it, it basically it functions. There's been some other people that have been doing you know updates and whatnot to it. So, but uh, yeah, I need to throw some of them and put them and fold them in at some point into the the code. But anyway, excellent. Um, hi, hi, Leanne. Guys, okay. Hopefully, see you on the next call. And Leanne, say goodbye. And goodbye to the parrot too. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. So I'm almost there, Paul. And, um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to having that component because, because I want to start assembling and I know the, the series that Steve York's doing, we're going to start doing code samples soon. So, um, now just so you know, too, and I appreciate everything you're doing. And, and at the end of the day, we need to have a process and I believe everybody's kind of got their own process and that's fine, but it's nice to have at least one that's documented and at least your video is documenting a way to set up an environment which is great um something else that um that ron klein was doing which he showed me and i don't know where he's left off with this but ron klein was using a text editor called atom a-t-o-m are you familiar with that one at all Uh, I haven't heard of that. No, I haven't. Yeah, so so Atom is, uh, is it's like a Notepad++, and it's also cross-platform. It also lets you plug in your own different languages. And I think the one nice thing that Atom has is the ability to create custom menus where you can just do a pull-down menu. So he's basically created all these different scripts that are the equivalent of your batch file, but will pull it down from a menu. So once you've got your source code on screen, you can just pull down from a drop-down menu and say, you know, either make an OS 9 disk or make a disk RS-DOS disk or do this or do that. And you just pull from a menu and then all of the stuff is built into the script in that drop-down menu and it just assembles it and makes the disk image and launches the emulator all and, and you know, just pull down and click type stuff. So, um, <clears throat> and he has that running flawlessly on the Cocoa Pie. And he was working on a way to convert his shell scripts to batch files so they would work on, on Windows, too. Um, and so that's another solution. But again, it's like a lot of people have their environments that they use. And, and some of them are, are, you know, it's not like it's not necessarily like it's a trade secret, but it's just, uh, hey, this is me. I set my thing up. I'm doing it my way. But you've got one that you that you're putting out there right and so and and i'm going to follow yours for right now and steve bjork wants to follow yours and so as we move forward with our assembly series and we start showing the source code and we start assembling and demoing the source code it'll be based on your notepad plus plus environment on your um long branch never series because that's just going to be our our method for the time being but yeah, that's cool. And, uh, you know, thanks for the nod. And, you know, I appreciate you guys taking a look at it and uh, thinking about even using it for um, doing uh, working into your series. Um, 
So again, one of the reasons why I was doing this was trying to do it from the point of view of a, of a beginner that's never done it before. What steps would you go through? Mm -hmm. uh, so Notepad++ does have the ability, there's actually a run button and you can actually set up scripts where you can have a drop down menu and do, I would imagine the same thing. I'd have to take a look at Adam to see exactly what it's doing. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why I have mine set up the way it is, is because it gives you the ability to see the code actually compile in the command window. Ah. And it actually, you'll see in the next episode that comes up tonight, a couple things. One, I go through and I show you the output and talk about uh, the machine code and how the assembly is converted to machine code and all the steps that go through. So there's that aspect of it, but it also gives you uh, additional um, steps for debugging. Whereas if you have shortcuts right now, it would make it hard to actually follow along what's going on. So maybe at some point it'd probably be worthwhile to do that or even incorporate I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, make, well, that um, makes sense. One other thing that's going to be included as part as a part of the new episode that posts tonight, Stevie, is um, I've got a, a template that's going to be up there uh, for you to download that you can actually just start working on the assembly code and, uh, you know, get even uh, get up and running that much quicker. Excellent, excellent, excellent. All right. Um, Rick Adams, you got anything you want to update us to that you've been working on lately? Uh uh, well, I haven't been working on anything lately because I've been on vacation. Ah, but, good for you. Uh, yep. Uh, uh, we went down to Amish territory. Thought we were going to see the Amish. So we bombed into town. This is, town is known as having lots of Amish. And we, we, so we came into town and said, where's the Amish at? <laughs> they're, like, they're not there. They're up on their farms doing their Amish things. They're not, you know, they're not coming out to town to talk to us filthy English. So... <laughs> So we had sort of an uneventful event, uh, vacation. We're back now. But I do have a sort of a retro talk item for you, if you're yeah. willing for that. Sure. OK, I just want to show you. I just started. Um, uh, I found a simulation of the first computer that I ever worked with, which was a PDP-8i. Mm -hmm. And that's what it looks like. So it's got, you know, it's like a movie computer. It's got all the blinking lights and yeah. switches and all that sort of stuff going on. So that's a simulation of it telling you, you know, showing you. And that's like really authentic because that's actually what it looked like. I'm not sure how, you know, in focus that is. No, that's fine. I got, can see it. Yep. It's got all the registers labeled and what they are and each of the bits. And, you know, if the bit is on more often than not, it's it's brighter. And if it's not on very often, it's kind of dim. And uh, uh, the bottom one that's going scrolling back and forth like a Cylon, that's the, the accumulator, sort of the equivalent of the A register, uh, okay. 68 or 9. And uh, it was a common practice back then that you had an idle routine that when it wasn't doing anything else useful, uh, it would you know, throw some bits around in the accumulator and make it look like, you know, a Cylon like that. Yeah. Uh, so there's all kinds of little, sometimes it would like count up in binary or whatever. So when you came in in the morning and you turn it on and you put in a little bootstrap routine using the switches, and over here on the left, they would have the bootstrap routine in octal, and you would just read that off and you'd put that in the switches and put them in word, word by word, and then you'd set it to the starting address, and then you'd hit the start button and then you'd boot your computer for the day. So one of my 
well, my first computer job was uh, being a system administrator uh, with uh, this, you know, this kind of a computer uh, in a big, big, huge cabinet in the corner of the room and four ASR 33 teletypes, very noisy things. And it was for a, a junior college uh, math department. So I'm real excited. This is the first time I've seen this site in 36 years, no, 46 years. So I'm real wow. excited. That's cool. So, now that's an emulator running on a PC? Uh, it's running on a Raspberry Pi. Okay. And the, the Raspberry Pi is barely keeping up. It's giving me a little over temperature warning in the corner of the window. Hmm. So that's my... Nick Morota wants to know, is there a paper tape output for it? <laughs> <laughs> There's a paper tape input for it, but it just okay. comes from a file, not from an actual paper tape. Okay. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Hey, Rick, whoever came up with that emulator did an excellent job coming up with the image that comes up on the monitor. That, you know, if you didn't see you moving the camera over, I thought you were looking at a real PDP there. Yeah. I mean, uh, a, a beautiful job. It's amazing. I mean, it just warms my heart to see that because it's like, yeah, that's exactly what it was like. It's not fake to me. It, uh, yeah. It, yeah. I, I'm even right here, and I look over and it's like, oh, here's a PDP-8i, you know, what? You know, so, and uh, the guy that did it has a write-up on how he uh, took pictures of an actual uh, PDP-8 and the lights in various conditions and processed them just right and, and made them look realistic that way. Wow. Figured out the color temperature of the lights and all kinds of crazy stuff like that. So what, what size was that machine? When they uh, made it, was it bigger than the monitor? Oh yeah, it was about the size. It was the size of a very large refrigerator. Oh, and just uh, the panel was about the size of a uh, room air conditioner. That's about right. Yeah, like on one of those window shakers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, like you know, that's a PDP eleven. I worked on a PDP eight, which was an earlier machine, and. I do have a fondness for it because I uh -huh. actually crawled around inside that machine looking for bad chips because that's what they did at the university is that they taught you how to fix these machines by pulling out a good chip and putting a bad chip in there. And you had to sit there and do all the diagnostics to figure out first how it wasn't working right and then what would cause it mm -hmm. and like that. But there was something I saw on the Facebook uh, posting when, or or maybe it was somewhere else, when Rick posted information about this machine, they go, why would anybody have nostalgia for something that they didn't own? Well, we may not have owned it, but it was the first machine we worked on. Yeah. True, true, yeah. And this is back when you didn't have machines at home. Yep, this is right. before that period. Yeah, my first machine I worked on was an IBM 360, and that took up an entire room. Mm -hmm. So Nick Marotas pointed out that that was the computer that was used in the Batcave. Oh. And they wanted to know if that was able to answer the Riddler's questions. I guess the Batman had used a computer like that to crack some of the Riddler's riddles or something. So. <laughs> and one more thing, just to show you the way the technology was back then, notice when Rick was showing the machine, they had the set of instructions that you had to manually put in the machine. 
Mm -hmm. That's because technically there was no ROMs inside there. There was nothing to boot up of code. The machine came up and just sat there going, huh? It <laughs> yeah. did nothing. It just sat there and stared at you. It's like a cocoa that doesn't boot up. Yeah. You had to put in the code that told it to do something, such as load in more code from somewhere else. Wow. Oh, it. So there's about 20 instructions there that you that you toggle into the switches by hand. And the really cool guys would memorize it, and then they would show off. by they come in, and they'd lean on the front panel with their hand in such a way that it blocked the written out instructions, uh -huh. and they'd toggle it in with their other hand just to show off. Mm -hmm. I never laughed as hard as this one guy that was showing off, and he couldn't get it right. <laughs> James Jones is asking, do they have the Focal available to run on the emulator? F-O-C-A-L. They do. Okay, what is that? A Focal. It oh, Focal. It was a programming language, F-O-C-A-L. Okay. I think it was Formula Calculation, I think was the acronym. Uh, but it was a, a digital PDP. Uh, it was some sort of a programming language, I think. Okay. Uh, but they do have uh, Focal on mm. the yeah. So Very I'm cool. Now on a PC, uh, like on my laptop, and then I just now figured out how to get it to run on my Raspberry Pi. Neat. Although I'm going to have to get wait until I get my uh, Raspberry Pi 3B Plus back, because this one is uh, working. This this uh, it's it's on a Raspberry Pi 3 right now, and it's working it so hard that uh, I'm getting an over temperature warning. Wow. Yeah. And the, there was a guy years ago came out with a. Uh, I'm not sure if it was a PDA, PDP-8 or PDP-11, but it was the actual panel, the physical unit. So you had the switches, you had everything just like that. And Mr. Steve Gibson bought three of them. So when he does this podcast, all three of them are back behind him, just running mm -hmm. those little patterns that you see there. So mm -hmm. there, there, there is as much interest in retro mainframes as there is in retro microcomputers oh yeah yeah hey yeah, Rick, i still, uh, have, I still have the key from the the original pdp8i that i that i originally uh programmed on i have the actual key for it there were several keys and when i left work there somehow i ended up with an extra key huh. well the the extra key so now I, I have it as a memento now so somebody was going to ask me something Oh uh, yeah, Bruce here. Rick, I was just, you know, with your heating problem, I, I think you have a solution for that from your cocoa days, do you not? You don't you have, you can of Freon? Can of Freon nearby? <laughs> <laughs> or blow on it really hard, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. No, I think I think all of us here, you're preaching to the choir when it comes to being nostalgic for some vintage piece of tech that, you know, is from 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 your youth, uh, for mm -hmm. you know, for me, my first co my first computer was the Coco, um, but yeah, I would be just as nostalgic for anything else. So mm -hmm. that's pretty cool. It's like you never forget your first love, right? And if that was your first right. love, um, it's going to be with you. Hey, so. Rick, you remember the term for those uh, oversized computers back in the day? Big irons. Big iron. What's yeah, Paul got? Sometimes, sometimes called boat anchor. Yep. Or Heaters. Heaters. Uh, yeah. Another term I heard was coffin because they were about the size where you could crawl in and die. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you got there, Polly? 
So, Steve, is this the uh, the display that you were talking about? Yep. Yep, that's that's that the, the, uh, the kit. Yeah, that's uh, Oscar's kit. It's yeah. uh, oh yeah, it works with uh, Raspberry Pi, and uh, I got it about a year ago, and it's one of those on my to-do lists. So <laughs> I haven't quite gotten to it yet, but uh, definitely looking forward to putting this thing together. If yeah, don't buy too many dollars. of these retro projects that you forget to put together. Okay. Yeah, I know. It's just <laughs> piling up. If I, if I had a couple hundred dollars, I would get one of those. But uh, the guy that makes those, he's out of the switches right now. So he, he says he's going to have more in November. So, mm -hmm. But I don't happen to have a spare couple of hundred dollars lying around. So, But I've got this thing right here, and I'm pretty happy with that. Just crank out a yeah. new game. Yeah, crank out yeah. a new game, man. Yeah, go get that game money. <laughs> the original PDP-8i that I had in the, the math department of that junior college, uh, or a community college, as they sometimes call it, uh, they moved that. After I left, they moved it from one building to another. And when they moved it, it never worked again. So I don't know what mm. happened to it, but it, it probably just got junked. Well, see, all these computer rooms, they were built on a false floor in yeah. a lot of cases, so they could run all the cables and like that. Mm -hmm. And, and yeah. uh, the other thing that they also had in those false floors, the air conditioning. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know, I know the IBM mainframe cabinets, they're all designed for airflow through the bottom. So the Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah it's just, Pushing yeah, compu back. computer centers back in the day were definitely interesting creatures and like mm, that there was nothing energy efficient about the machines or the the technology used to cool them because if you think about or the pump, pump, pumping cold mm. air through the floor and you know that cold air falls to begin with because it's heavy so you got to blow it up as hard as you can so it can hopefully reach the top of your rack you know it just it didn't make any sense um hey, hey actually, steve actually the heat's going to rise so it just basically displaces the hotter oh, okay there you go <clears throat> hey steve yeah, one, do you remember one, Go ahead. Do you remember if they had uh, TTL in those things, or was it discrete transistors? It was TTL. Okay. In the uh, PDP's systems, definitely. Now, mm -hmm. in the case of the IBM 360, that was transistors for the most part. Right. Discrete, discrete when I say TTL, I mean little chips. Yeah. You know, little black chips. Yep. Uh, they didn't the even have low-power shocky yet. They were right. TTL. Right. So one computer chip would be, you know, like a na uh, four NAND gates or something like that, or a flip-flop, a couple of flip-flops per chip, as opposed to nowadays, you have a chip which is the complete CPU. Mm -hmm. So in those days, one chip was a little tiny fragment of the CPU, and you'd have a whole bunch of them, and then together, those would be the CPU. Wow. So that's what, what we mean when we say TTL. Wow. Now, one project that I was given at the university along with the team was to find out why at the medical university area, they kept having loss of data. Now, back in those days, stuff wasn't stored on hard drives or whatever. They were stored on these big, huge magnetic tapes, almost the size of a film canister. And they had a problem they, that the tapes were coming up bad. So we were going through the computer. We were trying to find, you know, where in the computer it would mess up writing information in the tape because that's obviously where 
the information went bad is once it went to the tape, it would kind of get messed up. And one day I came in late working on the project and I walked through the room where the tapes were stored and a man was going through and buffing the floor. Now, these buffers have big, huge motors on them. Sure. Motors make magnetic energy. Mm -hmm. And he was buffing right by the tapes on the bottom. (laughs) He was erasing the tapes, even though they were in metal canisters. Wow. So bottom row. (laughs) He was because we had started notice it wasn't all tapes. And it wasn't necessarily on a particular day. And we're going nuts trying to find what was causing the problem. And it turned out it was the janitor at the end of the month was erasing the tapes on the bottom row. Wow. Did that now I'm, I'm hitting uh, switches on the front panel and I'm single stepping through the program. Wow. The only thing missing in that demo is your hand. Yes. Flipping the switch. I wish. Yep. I think you need a touch screen. Yeah. Yes. That would be awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. God, he did a great job on that emulation. Yeah, that's cool. Isn't it great? Yeah. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, David Ladd, anybody else or David or anyone else got anything they want to update us on what's going on this week with them? Then maybe we'll take another quick break and we'll get into news. David Ladd going once. So there's his MC10. There's Jason's. I, I found it. I found the MC10. Go ahead, David. <laughs> no, I don't really have anything, you know, important to cover. Um, I still have, you know, those ideas I want to try out yet, but I just have to get oh. around to having the time. Let's hear some of those ideas about how to take a high density floppy and use it as single density. I just want well, to see Phoebe's mind go boom. I've already heard it. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's heard it. But um, after I was describing it, um, James told me that the method that I was talking about is what the, uh, I believe it's the, was it the Atari or the uh, Amiga? Their floppies would go into half speed for uh, doing the high density discs so basically i could probably cheat and just try to find a ready to go um floppy drive from one of those machines yeah this is almost like why would you want to run a dos base emulator in a dos emulator um type of questions here (laughs) you know why do we want to worry about making a high density floppy for a system that nobody uses floppies anymore but well because because retro right because we can why are you going to make a gorilla wear a gorilla suit (laughs) well it's just too metro for me well there's also um i've got a whole um three and a half inch floppy box that was for my cocoa, and there's probably a good hundred three and a half inch high density floppies ah, that so you, are you, for the cocoa. You've got media you need you, you need to read. You well, yeah, so I'd this, like to see what's on it. So, so this isn't even a hypothetical. This is really, and this is going to be become a practical application for you. It's a recovery operation. Yeah. And, okay. Well, and that's... for me, if I can find a floppy drive 
that can do the job so I don't have to modify a floppy controller that makes my life easier. But if I have to modify a floppy controller again, the mod to make a standard uh, either 3022 or 3029 high density enabled is a pain in the rump. So it's okay. just... Hey, David, is there any way to use like Linux on an older system and use like raw write or raw read to you know pull the image off? Um, <clears throat> there, um, there's some features that I guess that were available that you could give certain information, but, um, again, a lot of my floppies were, um, let's just say, um, they had extra sectors on them. So <laughs> most people would assume like, uh, you know, the standard Cocoa floppies would be 18 sectors. So high density would be, what, 36? Mm. And uh, I would be pushing, um, you know, 20 on the double densities and 40 on the high densities. So pushing limits. David Ladd's always pushing limits. All right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So you've got a need. You've got some high density plus floppies you've got bonus sectors and you got disk you need to read and so this is this is something you got to do to get that done and it's an interesting project well so, and plus for those people that like using the original hardware as well well we were using regular pc floppy drives on the coco um even though that later some of those you had to do slight modifications to use them on the coco but you know like for me if i would have known that you know those floppies from those ataris or amigas wh whichever machine it was mm -hmm. um had the ability hell i would have probably bought a couple of those brand new floppy drives from that company to use on the coco right gotcha all right. Well, I think it's a good good time to take a break, and then we got some news items to cover. Uh, we got a handful of things to cover. News we haven't covered news in in probably a couple of weeks now, so um, we're not going to give you many weeks worth of news, but we'll give you a, a few things that have been going on this week. So we'll take another break, and we'll be back in just a little bit as we enter the going on three hour mark for today's episode. It's a jam packed show today, boys and girls. Hi, I'm Kieran Anscombe, author of XRAW, and your brain is resolving sensory input into Cocoa Talk. What's going on, everybody? Stevie Stroh, and I want to say thank you for continuing to watch and listen to Cocoa Talk. Damn it, We love stop doing the show. Me. We think we put together a pretty good show <laughs> for you, but this show could be better with your help. So if you would like to send a feedback a comment, a suggestion, that is a show so topic, or maybe even your own little segment or <laughs> bumper, then send it to us via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. This show would be nothing without you. Love to hear this from you. This whole show is out of context. This is appropriate timing. Don't eat my pants.
Happy Life, the David Ladd story. This summer, straight to YouTube. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. Oh, I remember that Christmas. Dad gave me my first shortwave radio from Radio Shack. What memories. This Christmas, we got our son's color computer three from Radio Shack. It hooks right up to our TV and was on sale for less than $130. The color computer three makes learning fun. Jimmy even lets me use it for word processing. When he isn't playing computer games, Lucky I still got my shortwave. Save $70 on the sale-priced Color Computer 3, only at Radio Shack. We now return you to Cocoa Talk. Hey, wasn't that Shanghai on that ad? It certainly was. Get ready. All right. And we're here, and we are in the news segment of the show, boys and girls. Rock on! Yes. So, we got a couple things that have come up this week uh, that I have been aware of, and a few people have posted things in uh, Discord as well. So, last week on the show, we had uh, Carlos Camacho on the program. As you know, Carlos is mostly known for the color computer store and all the refurbs that he does and his cool paint jobs. But he also mentioned that he had been working on a project of converting um, sprites and tiles and images to work with the 16-bit RGB palette of the Coco 3. So he's posted, I guess, some examples of that on Facebook. And um, so, for example, here are some tiles, I guess, that he's extracted from the, from the arcade game 1943. Um, this looks like a bunch of stuff from Galaga, which looks pretty good here. Um, here's a whole bunch of, this looks like maybe some wizardry type game here with all kinds of weird, um, kind of fantasy RPG type stuff. Got different beasts and monsters and characters. Um, wow, this is an incredibly large tile set. I'm not even sure what half of this stuff here is, but it looks like we've got portals and Lord knows what he's got going on there. Looks ah, like an arcade machine that, our arcade machine that crashed. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, just, yeah, just oogles and oogles of, um, of images of some stuff. So I guess he's been running a couple of utilities to take things he had designed in the past and then possibly just converted them over to the 16 bit palette for the Coco three. And so, and you know, we've seen Hugo DeFort doing something similar to this with some of the graphics he's designing for his game. So here's a couple of things that, um, that Carlos was throwing up, uh, on Facebook. Uh, and Richard's not with us this week. I wonder where Richard is. But another thing that we saw this week is Richard Lorbieski of Boyson Technologies was just showing off some of his mad soldering skills and cleaning skills. So we start with a normal Coco 3 motherboard. And then he starts to strip it apart, starts to take all the chips out. He actually starts to desolder all of the sockets. You know, and then he does some type of sonic pressure cleaning where he cleans off the boards. And now we can see really clean um, on the top and the bottom here. And, I mean, these are where I think chips used to go or where he's going to socket chips. But if you see how clean that is, that's just really nice. This is like a showroom finish uh, motherboard there. So, yeah, that's where the, yeah, that's where like the gimme. brand new when you're first getting them to populate them. That's yeah, looks- that looks like the gimme socket right there, huh? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, he has stripped down this motherboard where there is just nothing on it. And you can just see there's no flux or rosin or any of that stuff that's usually left over on motherboards when you desolder things. 
So super duper duper clean. Um, that's that's probably the bottom of the 68 or 6309 right there for a socket, right? So um, man, it's just so so clean. I mean, this is like solder porn. If you're into seeing solder, this is this is the goods right here. So the point being that you know if you if you need some work done and and for me this is not what I do this is nowhere near my wheelhouse so if I had some work I needed done I would probably send it to Richard Norbieski at Boyson Technologies to have things as a matter of fact I am going to do one I'm going to have him um, clean up my um, TDP 100 and, and socket the VDG for me so I can make it easy for. Brendan to put a Coco VGA in it at uh, Tandy Assembly, assuming I can go. All right, so um, really neat little project there. So that's kind of cool. Uh, if Richard was here, he probably could have told us in more detail. But if nothing else here, we can just oogle over how clean and pretty that looks, huh? If I can add one comment, I've been sure. soldering for over 50 years. I've done my fair share of on soldering and like that. But Richard is an absolute pro at this thing. And even if you think you're pretty good at soldering and desoldering, it's, I, I, in my case, I'm thinking if I have to remove a 6809 on my board, I'm going to send it off to Richard because I know it'll get done right. If I try and do it, I'm not so sure of that fact. Right. Well, that's, there you go. You can't get a better testimonial than that, huh? Mm -hmm. And so. I'd like to add, add to that. Um, I had a motherboard recapped and stuff from Richard and, he did the ultrasonic cleaning to it, and and uh, he also socketed my uh, prom, so that way I could put in an EEPROM to replace the basic in the Coco 3. But yeah, that board was so spick and span. It was like the motherboard just came off the factory line. Yeah. The only, only problem I've got with Richard's stuff is he doesn't charge enough for it. I'm concerned that uh, yeah, he's he not making enough money. He's really inexpensive for the work he does. I wonder about that too. Yeah. Well, not only that, but when it comes to like his latest memory boards, he has been redesigning them as he goes. And anybody who's bought one ends up getting like three of them for free. <laughs> so it's like anybody who, um, anybody who like bought the 512 board, got a free upgrade to the two meg board and then anybody who bought the first round two meg board well he's tweaked that and he's got a he's got a better two meg board so he's going to be sending everybody who bought the first uh boomerang e2 a new one so as he refines them he's giving everybody the latest greatest version of the hardware which is great customer service but it's bad for profit margins yeah. <laughs> and, and the other thing too is we're not talking about the old version was bad. It nah. just keeps improving it. Yeah. Unlike some other people out there in the Coke community, you bought something that had a bug or a problem. They just said, well, that's that. Nah, my hands are washed. Hmm. You're stuck with it. So he is just a shining star when it comes to all this. So he's inexpensive, does an incredibly great job, and really stands behind his work. There you have it. Richard Lorbieski, we are singing your praise. We speak your names. All right. So uh, I thought I would share this. We're not necessarily a marketplace type show, but if for somebody is somebody who's in the market to get a floppy, this came in. This was relatively new posting from Mike uh, Soak on on the Facebook group, but he's got an FD 502, apparently new in box. 
And so again, if you're into uh, retro porn, this is the good stuff here. So this, you can ooh and ah over this when it's still sealed in the plastic. It's got all the styrofoam protection. Look at that controller, David. Does that get your blood pumping? Hmm. Look at that. Still oh, the F... The FD-502, oh, geez. <laughs> I might just have to contact him now. It's getting me all woozy. I wonder how supple that plastic still is. Oh, yeah. So look at this. Still sealed. Still got that new floppy smell. Look at that. He's got some computer paper, too. So if anybody's looking to print out some, uh, some fan fold stuff there. So I thought that was kind of cool. So somebody in the market for a physical floppy drive and you want to find specimen there, you might want to reach out to Mike Zok. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name properly on the Facebook group. Um, uh, now, it, it wouldn't be a week of news without seeing what, what has Ed Snyder done lately, right? And so, as you know, Ed Snyder has been uh, working on a Coco 3 keyboard replacement with new keycaps, mechanical key switches, laser etched keys. Some of the earlier pictures, these things kind of look like pieces of chiclet gum or something like that because they were just kind of plain. But a little further through, look at that. He's got a boomerang memory board in there, too. How do you like those apples, huh? So as we go through here, and you can see how nice and clean that is, we, we finally get to the part where he's showing us the laser etching on the keys now. And so here you can actually see the letters on the keys. Now, I'm not sure if this is going to be the final look, like if these will be darker or not because they kind of look like they're engraved, but not necessarily dyed or inked or anything, you know, but you can definitely read the letters and they look clean and they look good. Um, and like a matter of fact, look at that. He's got the raised, um, the home keys. And I don't think the real Coco had a little depressed thing there for the home keys. So when you knew you were on your F and J, as a matter of fact, I'm looking at my Coco three right now and, and I don't see that. So that's actually a nice little modern feature there where you can do touch typing where you know if you're on your home keys, your F and J right there. I just actually noticed that. So that looks pretty cool. It looks like the brake key has not been etched, but it kind of doesn't need to be. It's red. It's off to the side. You know what it's there for. Um, here you can see the ribbon cable connection for it. I guess it's got like a little board that goes in place there. Um, that's that the looks deluxe uh, cocoa color. Black. <laughs> yeah. So I guess he would have the ability to um, create these keys in different colors, too. Yeah, backlit version of this would be really cool, right? Um, another thing Ed Snyder has revealed to us now is that not only is he making products, but he now has the ability to 3D print. And since he's making so much product, this is probably going to streamline. And, um, you know, if you want to order a Coco SDC with case, you can now order it straight from Ed and not have to order the, the board from Ed and the case from John Strong or whatever the case may be. Or at least you've got options now, right? So John whatever Strong is still case making cases. <laughs> whatever the case <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Hey, Ron's on fire today. Yep. So uh, he's got a Coco SDC case there. It's um, Here we can see his actual 3D printer. That looks pretty good, huh? So uh, this must be the top-down view looking into it. And yeah, it's kind of neat. I don't know. I always think uh, this the, the whole idea of 3D printing takes me back to the days of going to the zoo and having the wax pressing of the gorilla come out of the machine where these two things come together and the wax gets pushed in and it, and it pops it down. That's what I always think about. So yeah, Ed Snyder's now doing 3D printing. So um, 
you know, who knows what to expect from Ed Snyder next, you know, uh, which is the zipsterzone.com, right? Z-I-P-P-S-T-E-R zone.com. We're expecting an actual Coco 4. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ch- Chad's asking, where's the any key? <laughs> Can engrave that on the space bar. Any. Yeah, right? you can do that for extra. So, right. So, you know, with that uh, 3D printer, at one time I thought it would be cool to build a, a CNC machine and just use, because uh, you can get blocks of plastic and wood and stuff like that. I thought it'd be cool to do the reverse. Instead of you build up the plastic, you just use the CNC to remove it to build your products that you want. Okay. It's a negative if that makes process, sense. Negative process rather than a positive process. So 3D printing, you're adding material until you get what you want. And it's a CNC machine to remove what you don't want. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that's it's, it's above my pay grade. Um, <laughs> so... It's like sculpting. You get a block of rock and you cut off the pieces till you get what you want. Right, David? Yeah. Exactly. That I can follow. Okay. Stevie, do we need to talk about ESPs and DriveWire now? Yes, please. Yes, please. So if you guys recall, <laughs> um, Thomas Cherry Holmes was on our show a month or so back, and he talked about the Irata online project and, um, and, and, and um, Plato right so he is now saying would you like me to help make this better i could use some help with making terminal implementations better so i need some coders on the terminal i need to make programs for the system so he needs authors to add content to plato discovering the darkest corners of the system some archaeologists and historians and website maintenance updating release information for the terminals and etc writing guides to connect your vintage computers to errata online telling people about the system, administering the system. And if you would like to help in any of these areas, please contact Thomas Cherry Holmes. He does post, and they're making a lot of progress and getting a lot more terminals for a lot more systems. So they're getting some 16-bit support on the Atari ST and Amiga area. They're getting higher resolution graphics to uh, support. There's some MS-DOS-based terminal support. And so you can see here that VGA resolution, 640 by 480 by 16 color, looks really nice here. Um, this uh, this Apple logo looks really super smooth, even at VGA resolution. So, so yeah, Errata Online in the Plato system, um, just taking that further. And if you think about it, this is really kind of like the Holy Grail. If you want to have retro connectivity cross platforms, the infrastructure is in place and the protocols are out there. And all we need is a few terminals and we could um, have cross platform games and message boards and forums and all kinds of stuff. Uh, you can sit here and talk trash to your uh, Apple friends through your Coco online. And this is like the old days of uh, bulletin boards. So I'm glad to see this is still going on. And what he's asking for is really what I would like to have more of here, too, for Coco Talk. He's asking for like a street team. He wants different people to take different pieces of this and go out and spread the gospel. You know, help me with this. I'm just crowdsourcing different things. And so we, you know, we kind of unofficially get that without asking, and sometimes we ask for it too. But yeah, I would love to have the same level of stuff going on for Coco Talk. So on the one hand, we have people who create cool little commercials and segments for us. And but I would love to have people share the show. Like I, I don't want to be that guy that shares out links to this. 
on all the groups because I've already gotten my hand slapped and I've hurt people's feelings apparently and stuff like that. So I'm very cautious about sharing and spamming, but I would love for the people who watch this show to spread the word, you know, and share it out on whatever. If you're on a forum or if you're on a news group or if you're in other retro groups that you think might like the show, I would love for other people to share that out and help us expand our universe as well. Um, so I think that's what he's asking for, and, and I'm all in favor of that. So for those of you who like this project, help him out, right? You want to add to that, Mark Overholzer? Um, well, I haven't spent much time on Irata recently, but uh, I've been trying to focus on other things. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be like you know, like CompuServe and Delphi was back in the day, except, well, it's free. You, know, you already yeah. have an internet connection. So you know, there's terminals for all the basic platforms now. Help shake out the bugs, make suggestions, maybe help code. And then you can start developing programs on Irata and uh, bring the community together, all the communities. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of tearing them apart. All right. So that's cool. And so I'm glad to see a lot of progress has been making. Now, this is somewhat of a Cocoa project, right? But, you know, Sockmaster, who made Donkey Kong for the Cocoa and Donkey Kong Remix and stuff. And, and he made a holiday remix last year around the holiday times. There's now a Donkey Kong remix spooky one now i'm pretty sure this only runs in mame i think this has to this is emulating the arcade hardware so i don't think he's made a necessarily a coco 3 version of it but um so you can go to donkey kong forum.com and you'll find links to get donkey kong remix and donkey kong spooky remix and apparently there's a tournament for high scores where you can submit your score and possibly win a prize the whole nine yards as long as your name is not um Billy Mitchell, I think you're eligible <laughs> for this one. So, <laughs> so check that out. And by the way, everything I've showed you so far, there are links to all of this in the description of this video, which means I will also get copy and paste it over to the podcast version of the show. Um, oh, uh, Al Hartman's asking, did Ron Delvo ever get his Coco Max multi-pack question answered? Yeah, someone uh, mentioned that it was, in fact, a, a real thing. But... Uh this address thing that doesn't work with the new uh, updated multi-pack. Okay. Mm -hmm. There you go. So it's just, it's a thing. And now you can see here by the little red progress bar, this is exactly how far I've gotten into Paul Fiscarelli's video. I'm 19 minutes and 26 seconds into the 32 minute video of his long branch never. So um, I've been following his video step by step to create the development environment. There's also a link to this here too. So make sure you check out um, Long Branch Never on YouTube and episode one is setting up your environment. I am almost there. So my, my plan was always to start my own little series on learning assembly and going through and, and you know making short videos as I learn it too. So this was a necessary step for me to be able to do that. I like the idea of us all being on the same page where whatever Paul's using for his series is has already been established and it's already been explained. We're going to use this for the Steve Bjork series. I'm going to use it for the Stevie Stroh series. And, and um, so... Um, look for lots more assembly-based content in the near future, and we're going to be basing it off of the Notepad++ editor and LW Tools and Toolshed and a few things like that. So um, good stuff, good stuff. So I'm almost there. I'm looking forward to being able to write assembly code and assembling it and seeing it work in the very, very near future. <clears throat> so thanks for Paul for getting that started for us. Um, oh, this was my TorMod download of the LW tools. Okay. And then I came across this too. Here's a link 
to this in the description here too. But I was actually, and this is what I do sometimes. I like to test um, Google keywords and on how to find things. So when I post videos on YouTube, there's a lot of science that goes into making sure you can be discovered with your keyword searches. And like when I first started doing a search for Cocoa Talk, when we first started the show, the only thing I got was Ice T and Coco, like Ice T the rapper and his wife was named Coco and they used to have a talk show. That's all we ever saw. Nowadays, when you search for Cocoa Talk, you know, nine out of 10 of the results are going to come up are going to be our show. But every now and then I like to just test the waters on search engine optimizations, keywords, stuff like that. So I came across this show here and I'm not familiar with them yet, but I'm, I'm interested in these guys now. So this is... The Amigos Retro Gaming. And this is two guys that apparently do a show. And this show was actually called Coco Talk because the guy grabbed himself a Coco 2 and was talking about it. And so I actually wrote them a little note and I said, hey, man, I'd love to have you guys come on the show sometime if you want to talk about your Coco experiences and hear from people of the community. So maybe we'll get these guys on. Now, I've already been um, butt hurt by YouTube in the past for playing videos and having copyright uh, bots get me. So I'm pretty sure these guys are not owned by an evil corporation and I probably wouldn't get a copyright flag. But just to be safe, I'm not going to play it. But needless to say, they have a Coco 2. The, the only cartridge that came with it was Color File. So he bought this. He bought this at a um, at like a, a pawn shop type place, and it was sitting in the corner. And he got the game. He got this with the cartridge Color File. And I think that's kind of funny for your only one cartridge you own to be Color File. It's, it's not almost a game. like <laughs> it's not a game. Yeah, no. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, there will be a link to this video here. So you guys might want to check out these guys. I always love to see when somebody else discovers the Coco, just to hear someone else's take on a machine, especially if they're not an expert in it, but just to hear an outside perspective on the machine. And they were actually very um, complimentary to, because he actually, what the guy was saying was the reason why he went looking for the Coco is they had, I guess they had done a special on all the different versions of the Popeye game across different platforms. And they spoke very highly of Sailor Man for the Coco. And he was really commenting on all the funny things about how it was a clone and how it was called um, not spinach, but it was called collard greens, but there was an S on the can of collard greens and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so yeah, check out the Amigos, um, just, you know, talking about a cocoa too for a little bit there. And so there will be a link to that in this, and maybe we can get, uh, some of these guys on a, on a future cocoa talk show. Um, Hey, do you remember the, um, guys you talked about? Was it last week? The eight bit guy? Yeah, I watched, I watched him do a retrobyte show about okay. um, different ways to retrobyte, and one of them was to use a. Um, he had a little machine that made uh, gas come out. What, what do they call it? Uh, uh, I, I call that my butt. No, this is, <laughs> uh, ozone. Oh, ozone. ozone. Okay. And he put, it, he put a piece in a bag, and he let the ozone go in there, and then he sealed it. Or he let it run, I, I forget. But he put it in the sun, and that worked as well as retrobrite. But what Steve does about that is he didn't need to immerse everything in liquid. You know, okay. whatever the sun did, it would be mm. nice and bright. It was a great show. If you get a chance, check it out. Okay. Um, now, last but not least that I have here, unless you guys have something else to talk about, but this was brought up in, in um, Discord as something to mention, but the CMOC compiler has been updated recently 
And one of the things that's been recently added to it is a library that would let you generate music in, in the CMOC by uh, replicating the basic play command. So if you're used to the note syntax of the basic play command, which was literally, you know, writing out the letters A, B, C, D, E, F, G, uh, and just changing your octaves and tempos and stuff. So they've added a library for that. So when you look through here, through, and if you look at some of the libraries that they have here, there's actually a decent amount of um, of content. So if you're familiar with C, now we again we've been talking about this recently. We'd like to see more software. We want to see more programs for the Cocoa. And we're working here in our little circles to promote assembly development. But if you know the C language or you're interested in writing something that's better than basic and not quite assembly, C might be an option. It's going to still run faster than basic. It will still compile down. Um, and so, but there's a lot of different libraries here. So there's, there's a graphics library that offers basics line draw and paint commands. I believe the B sound might be um, the one that adds the basics play command. There's a card game derived from Crazy H. So there's actually a, a, a sample program here that you could load up. So there's a couple of different card games where you could load up a playable game in the CMOC compiler, look at the source code, and maybe learn how to... Um, here, here's uh, Michael Furman's DW term, the drive wire term. Um, there's some stuff from Jamie Cho. His name comes up a bit. You know, if you guys recall from Cocoa Fest, Jamie Cho gave that presentation on Dino Sprite, right? Mm-hmm. Um and so there's there's links to some different things. There's a high res text routine on here, um, and so again, I am I don't understand C yet, but I have a book on it. And my goal is first to learn assembly before I learn anything else. But anyways, there's a link to this too in the description of this. So CMOC, if if you're looking to write software for the Coco and you and you know C. Or maybe C might be a, a low learning curve to learn as far as language goes. It might be a little bit easier to learn than assembly. This might be another option for you as far as having a, a, a development environment that can create software for the Cocoa that will run faster than just normal RS basic runs. So how is that for news, guys? Is that good for good. one week? That's good. All right, what is I'll James June? James Jones says, do note that CMOC is C-like. It doesn't meet the C standards as far as what ANSI C or saying. Again, that's now you're getting into a, above my pay grade. I don't I don't know anything about C right now. I know it's a, it's a well-known popular language, and I know there's a million versions of it. But, yeah, it has always been said that CMOC is a C-like um, compiler where it's not fully C, but it's good enough. And, and it's on the Cocoa. And it's cross. It's, it's a cross compiler thing, so you run it on a modern system, whole nine yards. Yeah. Um, so there we have it. Uh, what are we missing here now in the live chat? Nick Morota says he. Oh, so we're talking about the eight bit guy. So the eight bit guy is going to be doing some cocoa stuff. I guess he got um, a cocoa donated to him, and so he'll be now doing some unboxings or talking about the cocoa. And so yeah, we've we've mentioned that that it would be really good. Because the 8-bit guy has got such a big audience that if his audience, who maybe is not as familiar with the Coco, starts to become familiar with the Coco, that could raise awareness and maybe get some more people to maybe want to buy some Cocos on eBay, maybe join the Facebook group, maybe watch our show or listen to the Coco crew, whatever the case may be. So anything we can do to further uh, expand the hobby, expand the realm of influence and get more people in the family, that's a good thing, right? 
Yeah. Of course, right now the ratings are dropping because you got my big head in the middle of the screen instead of the other guys. Ah, well, why is that not? Uh, it, should only, it should only be going on who's talking. But all right, yeah. so what have I not talked about this week now that we're at the three-hour mark? Has anybody got, got anything else they want to add to the show? All out of Ron's garage, I uh, hooked up my 4P to the internet with my uh, handy-dandy, um, uh, what do you call it, USB. Uh, USB to serial adapter? 20, yeah, 24, 25-pin. And uh, it came up, and I went on Neil Blanchard's site, and I was able to see stuff and communicate on there. And the Model 4P is the like the TRS-80 portable. It's kind of the luggable one, right? It's it's a Z80 here. Yeah. Z80, okay. Somebody says Z80. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's Z cool. Anyone? Z is a European pronounce pronunciation of the letter Z. Oh. They won't. We we say Z. They say Z. Because Z is too, so right? much so much closer to another letter. Do you want to I make sure it's a Z? <laughs> Just the way they do it. Oh. Yeah, by by the way, that uh, Model 4P, wasn't that about 40 or 50 pounds? When you say luggable, it's luggable yeah. by two people. Well, <laughs> yeah, it has a handle. It looks like a sewing machine, mm -hmm. actually. It's about as heavy as a sewing machine, too. Yeah. Yeah, that <laughs> monitor, power supply, metal case to support it. Hey, Nick, Nick, Nick Marota is doing some punny stuff here in the live chat. He goes, ASCII, stupid question, ASCII, stupid question. Get stupid antsy. <laughs> Good one, Nick. Chad is asking, have we ever had the 8-bit guy on the show? We have not. I have never asked him directly. I believe a few other people have who have some type of contact or relationship with him. And I believe he's de declined the offer. I believe he's probably, he's got his brand to be concerned with and, Probably getting on any other show may or may not interfere with his brand, or maybe he's just too busy. I don't know. We won't but, bring him down. Um, so really? uh, I, I listen. I am. Um, I'm very passive. Passive when it comes to letting people know they're welcome on the show. I basically have said so many times. I'm tired of saying it. Anybody's on. Listen, we got David Ladd on here, right? So, um, so thanks a lot, Stevie. Um, so everybody is welcome to join the show. I mention that all the time. Some people do, some people don't. I should maybe try a little bit harder, but I got enough things to do. Um, I would love to have more people on, and maybe some people need to be directly asked. I'm not sure. Um, I personally, I don't know the 8-bit guy. I, from what I've heard, he's a really nice guy. He lets people come to his house, so I would imagine. Uh, he wouldn't be rude if we asked him, but I would also maybe we should all go to his house. Yeah, we could do a cocoa talk at his house, right? Yeah. So, but yeah, would it would be nice? Would it be nice to have him on? Obviously, it'd be nice to have him on. Um, would he be able to? Would he be willing to? Who, who the hell knows? Um, but he's definitely welcome. There are a number of people I have asked directly, like those people in the YouTube video. I just responded to them saying, "Hey guys, love to have you on the show." A lot of times, somebody will put something on Facebook, and I'll I'll put a comment saying. Um, Hey, would you like to come on Coco Talk? But I'm not super aggressive about it. And some people maybe either just don't want to. And there were times where I sometimes I get a little bit frustrated because I have posted in a few different groups saying, hey, I'd love to get people to come on the show and talk about this. I'll give you an example. The, what is that group called? All Things Tandy and Radio Shack, right? Where everybody's talking about their Radio Shack memories. On at least two different occasions, I have 
put out there as a post saying this would be a great topic for like a Cocoa Talk show where we could just talk about Radio Shack. We don't have to talk about Cocos, but we could have a whole episode where everybody who has a Radio Shack memory, we could just talk about Radio Shack stuff. And two different times I posted a, a plea to get people just to, be, to, to get some interest and it doesn't happen. So I'm kind of on the mindset that if somebody wants to be on a show, they'll they'll find a way to find out how to be on it. But again, I'm also asking for people to work those angles to help, you know, generate interest to get people to join us as well as to generate interest to get people to watch us. I've done so, some of that. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So And uh, I think we should get Stuart Chaffee on. That would be good. Wouldn't that be Maybe, cool? Yeah, well, if I can make it to Tandy Assembly, maybe we can talk to him. You know? Yeah. Invite him on. Yeah, that would be great. So, Start the show with him introducing uh, our show in the format of uh, Chronicles. Yeah, that would, would be, be cool. awesome. That would, be, that would be completely awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so what else? Did we miss anything? Are we good? Grant Leedy's just joined us. It's Greg. What's going on, Greg? Hello, everybody. I just got home from work. Uh, I thought today is the day you were going to host so I didn't have to rage quit. No, 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 no. We decided to let you rage quit. Apparently, you, <laughs> oh. you survived because you're still you, here. Yeah, you yeah. wanted me to rage quit. Is that what happened? <laughs> exactly. You set me up for failure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to disappoint you. So, Well, the uh, ratings are doing well, so that's, so you didn't disappoint everybody. Yeah. Yes. Have, you, have you shown us how many people have hit you know, in that little chart you put up usually? Oh yeah, I looked at it. We're we're just shy of thirteen thousand downloads on the mm -hmm. audio podcast. And again, this is kind of my um, I don't like I don't promote the podcast version of the show at all. Like I don't post it in groups because I only post when we go live. I'll post an invitation to join the live show. When the podcast replay comes, I don't post that. Uh, again, I'm I'm kind of like I don't I don't want to be too spammy, and I don't want to offend people's sensibilities. And I don't want it to always come from me. So um, the mm. only time uh, a posting goes out that the audio or video podcast have dropped is if you follow the page. So if you follow the Coco Talk page or you follow my OG Stevie Stroh page, those get posted there automatically. But I don't post those in groups because I feel like it's some semi-redundant. And I don't want to have like three posts a week from me. In, in the Facebook group, because then it just becomes like, well, you know, who is this guy? Why is he always, you know, look at me, look at me? That's just kind of not my style. Um, but I would ask anybody else, feel free to share. Yeah, feel, yeah, feel free to share if you want to share, but I don't want to be the the main sharer. So you need soldiers. Yeah, street team. We need a promotional street team. Um. What else? Closing thoughts, parting thoughts. Anybody? What is Chad Cunningham saying here? Terry Hatcher on Radio Shack. Ad oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a good memory. It was the chess club, the computer club, and the math club. Yeah, remember Terry Hatcher? That's the chick that was on uh, Lois and Clark, right? She's married to that, yep. uh, uh, what's his face, the uh, football player guy. They both did uh, commercials, I think, for Radio Shack. So, anywho. Um, are we good? Any closing thoughts, or should we start getting ready to roll the credits? Did you uh, mention Candy Assembly? Oh, there you go. See, I knew there was a reason why I pay you, Greg. <laughs> um, I mentioned so We did. So, Tandy Assembly, right? So, we're going to move over to events here real quick. <laughs> if 
Thank you, Greg Leedy. All right, so Tandy Assembly, as you know, it's still scheduled for November 10th and 11th in Springfield, Ohio. The website is tandyassembly.com. Um, registration is $10 per attendee, 12 and under are free. All proceeds go to the cost of running the event. And um, call for speakers. They're still looking for speakers. Right now, as we know, as we've mentioned, our, um, our headline speaker, our keynote speaker is Stuart Chaffee of the Computer Chronicles. Um, and right now, as of exhibitors, we've got Ian Maverick. We've got Peter Satinsky. Brendan Donahue's going to be here. Coco Man will be here. Our very own Coco Man. Boyson Tech will be there. Randy Kindig. Eric Canales, potential future president of the uh, <laughs> Glenside Color Computer Club. Henry Reitfeld's going to be showing off a Tandy Vision, which is uh, Tandy's clone of the uh, Intellivision. Ken Edwards is going to be showing off Tandy's and TRS-80s. Retro Innovations. Jim Brain will be there. Cloud9. Uh, all kinds of people will be exhibiting there. This exhibitor schedule has um, has definitely um, peaked, uh, uh, beefed up there a little bit. Um, still have some to-be-determined speakers and presentations, but looking good. Courtyard, Marriott, Springfield, and downtown Springfield, Ohio. I like it. Good call there, Greg. And did you remind everybody to vote for the uh, officers? For oh, that's right. So uh, the Glenside newsletter has information on where to go or how to do it, right? Yeah, it's uh, com. Coco List. Excuse me. I'm sorry. My bad. Tandylist.com. Tandylist.com. Let's take a look at that. Is that the voting site? Correct. And you have to log in with the email uh, address you provided at the uh, Coco Fest last year with the password. Ah, look at this. So Tandylist.com. And if you forgot your password, is there a way to reset your password? That's above my pay grade. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Yes, you can. It's just there. Look on the page. Okay, so for example, click here to set reset your password. Okay, so tandylist.com is where you can vote for your officers for the Glenside Color Computer Club. This is important stuff. And there's a vote button right there. All right, so there you have it, tandylist.com. Thank you, Greg. You just come in at the last minute and just drop all (laughs) kinds of useful information on us. And that's what we love about you. Vote yes, early, and, and I'm a big advocate. If you don't vote, you can't bitch. <laughs> hey, 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 watch your language. And that is true of so many things in life. So um, if you're a member of um, Coco Fest, that means you're a member of Glenside Computer Club? That's correct. I didn't realize that. Cool. Yeah, it seems like when you attend or you get a table, you uh, also get a membership. There you go. So if you've attended Coco Fest, you're automatically a member. Not only are you a member, but you're also a client or something like that. And that was that Cy Sperling from the Hair Club for Men. Not only am I the president, but I'm also a client, right? So um, cool. All right, Grant. Well, thank you for that. What else have I missed? What else have I forgotten that Greg needs to remind me of? Anything else? Uh, it was uh, Coco Man's birthday this week. Coco Man's birthday this week. Jason Reichert. Hey. Coco Man. See, Grant, you're just full of it. (laughs) Full of what? Or do I even want to know? 
Grant's definitely full of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ladies and gentlemen, Grant Lady is full of it. All right. So on that note, we're going to begin phase one of the uh, sign out here. Uh, if there is to be an after dark, that's to be determined. But by show of hands, anybody want to reunite later on this evening? Anyone available? Ron's thing, maybe. Uh, possibly. possibly. It just depends. Much like the undergarment. All right. So what undergarments? Built <laughs> oh, diapers. God. All right. So <laughs> oh, so David doesn't wear undergarments, is what he's saying. What oh, do we need to end the show? Oh, <laughs> Stevie, that's going too far. Well, why else would you be asking? Too long. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, David Ladd's going full commando. All right, so on that note, we're going to start the credits. The roll the credits. The credit. Press the button, Frank. We'll be back in just a minute. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk wow. show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. <laughs> For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. If you love the color computer like we do, then visit imacoconut.com for all your color computer links needs. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, visit the Patreon link on our site at cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community and its cast and crew. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Morentes, Ron Delvaux, Rick Adams, Jason Reichert, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Karen Anscombe, Simon Jonason, Wayne Campbell, Steve Batson, Brian Joyce, John Strong, and Barry Nelson. Special thanks to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and Brian Joyce for our best of episodes and bonus content. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its contributors. The Coco Crew podcast at cococrew.org. Glenside Color Computer Club, host of Coco Fest at glensideccc.com. Jim Brain and Retro Innovations at go, the number four, retro.com. Tandy Assembly at tandyassembly.com. Oh my God, is this Boyson about Technologies at B-O-Y-S-O-N tech.com. Get your own switcheroo at cocoman.biz and Cloud9 Technologies at cloud, the number nine, tech.com. Coco Talk is hosted by Steve Strobridge, co-hosts, technical directors, segment hosts, and producers, Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Grant Leedy, Mark Overholzer, Ron Delvo, and Jason Reichert. Production motivation, Steve Bjork. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Shalar. Mix, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people. And let's not forget a very special thank you to Roger Taylor for getting us on the Coco TV channel on Roku. Yeah, this one doesn't play long enough anymore to get to the high note. It used to be a longer one. We got to that, yeah, high note out there. All right, so we've learned that David Ladd does not wear underpants. Anything else that we need to leave people with to give them really bad pictures in their mind that they'll never shake out of there? Stevie! We're off the air. We could say more. Oh, jeez. This is like definitely that. almost a cuckoo after dog. After. <laughs> well, David is, is dog sitting. He does let the dogs hump his legs. Oh, for the love of people. Oh, yeah. That's just wild. Press the button, Frank. Press the button, Frank. <laughs>
It's definitely become train wreck after dark. Um, so, all right. So we're going to end the train wreck, and possibly we'll be back later on tonight. So thank you all for being here. Three and a half hours left. We'll play the bonus clip here for a little bit more David Ladd for us, and then, um, then we'll get the hell out of here. Hi, this is Antonio Jimenez, author of such projects such as The Stevie Throw Devil and The SD Pack. And you are watching Coco Talk in 3, 2, go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm buying your bacon face. Okay. <laughs> you, you have a script? You're rolling, Curtis. You say whatever you want to say. Well, give me some kind of guideline. Um, hi, this is Curtis Boyle. Hey, this is Eric, and you're listening to Coco Talk. All right, we're rolling. You say whatever you want to say, David. Nation, world, sweetie, weekly, any computer, something like that. Hi, I'm Tim. Playing dagger is like that idiot from the book. You're watching Coco Talk. Thank you, David. Uh, now get back up there for one second. Oh, jeez. Come on. What? But, but, but. Let's get some dry wire, TTL, no. ESP. No, we don't need any dry wire or TTL. <laughs> Hi, it's Chris Boyle, part of the uh, Coco Jack crew of people. Hi, we're on Delbo Timberman. I guess I'll to uh, experience Coco Fest. You must come. I brought the only working MC10. I could not get it. I could not get it. Could not get Ah. By certain someone you know. The world's leading weekly Coco Talk Show. Yeah, something like that. Hi, this is Rick Adams, and I'm the author of uh, Temple of Wrong, Shanghai, and now Bomb Threat, and you're listening to Stephen Stroke on Coco Talk. Eight slot MPI. You know, floppy drive, Coco SDC, um, sound speech pack, orchestra 90, RS-232 pack, modem pack, super IDE. You start adding all those together if you want them all usable at the same time well guess what you just went over the four slot mpi lord really? have mercy <laughs> wow lord have mercy whatever you do do not go over the four slot mpi um limit that's bad it's like crossing the streams so i like was, my slots when was your birthday jason oh that was yesterday Yesterday. So what are you, 22 now? Uh, if you choose to believe that. <laughs> so younger than all you old farts. There you go. <laughs> you, you, you got that going for you. All right. Well, we're going to press the button now, Frank. Uh, in the live chat, we've had lots of people in the live chat today. We will acknowledge at least two of them. I believe one of them's name was Nick Marota. Um, Nick. We also had Chad Edward Cunningham in the live chat. Salvador Garcia, Al Hartman, Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Nick Marota. The Coco Man was in the live chat. Uh, D. Bruce Moore was in the live chat. So was Paul Fiscarelli, Salvador Garcia of the Glenside Color Computer Club. Pineapple was here. Rob Inman was here. Al Hartman. Uh, who else was D. Bruce Moore. I mentioned that. Salvador, Al Hartman, Chad Paul Fiscarelli, Rob Inman, Al Hartman. A lot of repetitive names here. Tim Franklin was in the live chat. Uh, James Jones was in the live chat earlier. Uh, Al Hartman. Did I mention Nick Marota? You, Rob you Inman. You might have said Al Hartman. We're not might sure. have said Al Hartman. 
James Jones, Nick Marota, Nick Marota. A lot of Nick Marota comments in here. Chris Peterson was here. And uh, who else is here? Coco Man was in the live chat. Lots of people in the live chat. Tom C. from Jersey was in the live chat. Chad, a lot of Chad here today from Australia. And it's early for you Australians. So that's good. And, uh, and that's it. All right, guys. So Al Hartman says we said Nick Marona at least five times now. Okay. Now six. Nick Marota? There Nick we Marota. go. All right. So we are now going to press the button. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everyone. I'm going to leave you with this. David Ladd does not wear underpants. All right. Let that oh. Okay. Take no. care and goodbye, everybody.